whoever she was, she was probably a, a priestess in a past life because she was unbelievably deep. And I will repeat, unbelievably deep. She probably had about six or seven master's degrees. She was an expert in math, in science, in music, in building. She was a world-class artist. She was a master of of uh, Eastern philosophy. She wrote books on the I Ching. She was a master of divination. She had extensive training in shamanism. She lived on Mount Shasta for seven years in isolation, doing healing for the world. I can't even tell you all the things that she could do. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's episode is a special episode released on Paul's 60th birthday and featuring Paul himself talking about the influential people who have changed his life. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with me, Paul Check. And uh, if you are joining me today, August the 24th, then you are celebrating my 60th birthday with me. Uh, hallelujah. It's amazing I made it this far. <laughs> Woo! I've had some wild experiences and been right on the edge of death a bunch of times. And uh, I'm still happy to be here. I've been in this field of holistic health for 37 years now, and I've poured my heart and soul into holistic health as my life path. I'm quite sure it's what I came to the world to do and to share. Today I share the highlights of some of the prominent people that changed my life, but in all honesty, there's countless others that have touched my soul. Today I've done my best to share those that have touched my soul most deeply, and if the feedback from you guys is that you enjoy what I share and you want to know more, then I will certainly do another podcast because I could easily do probably a couple more podcasts just on the people who've really influenced my thinking and the way I live. I've had many very challenging times and experiences in my life and lots of visits from the pain teacher. But I've also been blessed that Great Spirit led me to people that could guide me and show me how to turn my challenges into opportunities and my pain into love and healing energy, giving me more empathy, compassion, and the ability to help other people. And uh, without their help, I probably would still be building race cars and things like that. In this podcast, I'll do my very best from memory to share the people that changed my life as close to the order in which they came into my life as I can remember. But uh, there's been a lot of them, so uh, the order may not be accurate. It may just be uh, what it needs to be for me to remember them and share them all with you. These people have helped me, and... They have helped me help thousands of people directly as patients and clients and literally millions of people through the thousands of students that the, uh, are members of the Czech Institute, students of the Czech Institute. So with that preface, let's begin. I'd like to start with my mother. My mother taught me a lot of things. She taught me 
that life isn't always easy. Her life was very tough. She had me when she was 16 years old, and when her father found out she was pregnant with me, he kicked her out of the house. And her mother and sister died within a year of each other, just uh, I think one or two years prior to getting pregnant with me. So she was really not in a very good space. And then to be disowned like that and left to her own devices was not easy. And she ended up having three children within three years and uh, all sorts of nasty events after that. But uh, my mother really showed me that spirituality is really an essential component of navigating the challenges of life. Um, she became a yogi when I was 12, and I'll talk about the influences of that in a minute. But my mother is also a very creative woman. She's an incredible sculptor, a world-class sculptor whose work is in many museums around the world. She's quite well recognized for her sculptures. You can go to Humanitarian Sculpture, I believe it's .com. You can look her up, Mira, M-E-E-R-A, Sensor, C-E-N-S-O-R, and see all the amazing sculptures she's done. She specializes in sculpting peacekeepers, humanitarians, people that have changed the world for the better. So I learned a lot about creativity from her. I learned a lot about the importance of a deep connection to spirit, source, God, whatever you prefer to call it. And she was a very devoted follower of Paramahansa Yogananda for a long, long time. And she still is. And she traveled to India three times to do different levels of initiation. And she's got a lot of talents and... Um, she passed them on to me in, in many wonderful ways, and she gave me the sense of feeling loved as a child, even when things were really tough. And she really worked very hard. She spent a lot of time working two eight-hour-a-day jobs back-to-back -back as a waitress just to support us because my father took off and left her and didn't support her, so she was on her own and, and as I said, cut off from her family. And the fact that she could navigate the world with that much pressure on her and still a lot of pain from the loss of her mother and her sister was pretty impressive and still is impressive to this day. So my first person that really changed my life was my mother, and she also gave me my life. Next is my stepfather. My stepfather... As I'm sure if you listen to my podcast, uh, you know already, he was not an easy man to be around or with and kept us all on red alert pretty much all the time. He had no sense of what a child was. If you could hold a shovel, you'd be using it. An axe, whatever he could put in your hands. As far as he was concerned, an idle child is a useless child, and he worked us like slave dogs and gave us adult responsibilities and severe consequences for not following through with them. The good news is, is that my father really taught me to be tough. He worked me hard. He made me very strong. 
I was a great athlete as a, when I was young and throughout most of my life, and I'm still very athletic today. And it was the hard farm work that really was my greatest source of conditioning. I started lifting weights at 12, but even by the time I'd started, the farm work had made me strong enough that my friends were quite surprised at how much I could lift. He taught me not to complain and to get a job done. He taught me to use my mind and to solve problems effectively and not make excuses. He taught me that responsibility is important, and he taught me how to be a man. He was a hunter, a very, very skilled craftsman. He used to work in the special effects department for Universal Studios. He's worked on a number of famous movies. He was a, had a degree in farming. He was the president of the Farming Association where I grew up on Vancouver Island. He was, could build pretty much anything. He had skills in welding. He did underwater welding and blasting. He was a smoke jumper for the Los Angeles Fire Department. He was a master hunter. Um, he had a tremendous knowledge of not only farming but veterinary medicine. His work ethic is something that I've never, ever seen before. In fact, he toughened me up so much that when I joined the military, I thought basic training was a joke. And then when I got to paratrooper school and watched guys dropping like flies, I thought this is just a silly game. In fact, one time a drill sergeant was in jump school, was actually, no, it was in basic training, was being an absolute total dickhead, getting in my face, screaming and spitting on me. And later that day, it just so happened that I was in the barracks to grab something and he was in there by himself and he started getting up on me again. And he goes, check, you think you're a badass. You don't even act scared to any of us. And I said to him, you wouldn't last a single day on the farm with my father. He would eat you alive. I was raised by a grizzly bear. If there's anything you think you can do that scares me, you need to go have your head checked. I said, anytime you want to get into it with me, just close the doors and I'll show you what this farm boy is made of. And after that, he left me alone. And uh, he made the mistake of challenging me. He said, if you can win the honor soldier of the cycle, I will personally feed you breakfast in bed from the officer's hall, and you can order anything you want. And I told him that was a big mistake to make a bet like that with me, and I did win, and I did get breakfast in bed, and it did make everybody in the platoon crack right up, because that guy rode the hell out of me. And uh, the rest is history. Next, I'd like to say my grandmother and grandfather Reynolds, which were actually not my legitimate grandparents. They raised my father, my real father. Long story, but I come from a very confused and broken family. But my grandma and grandpa Reynolds were absolutely amazing people. My grandfather, though he was a salesman, was a real lifetime student of nutrition. And even when I was a child, was teaching me all about nutrition all the time. In fact, when I was probably six years of age, my grandfather told me, one day, Paul, people are going to tell you not to eat the yolks of eggs. Do not listen to them. 
the egg is a complete food. It's one of the best foods in nature. Always eat the whole egg. And sure enough, by the time I got into weightlifting, all sorts of bodybuilding fanatics were taking yolks out of eggs, which most of you know was quite a craze, and for some it still is. My grandma was just the most incredible woman. She was so loving and so nourishing. And as a child, I had asthma, and she was the only person that could get rid of my asthma. She did much better than any of the medical interventions, and she did it by massaging me and just talking to me. And she would massage my chest and my back and hold me. And sometimes, due to the stress, I had problems with bedwetting, and she never got upset. And she always gave me love. And later, when I was racing motocross, even though she had hardly any income, she sent me money in the mail to use to hop up my motorcycle so I could compete at a higher level. And I actually made it into the top, I believe, five of, in British Columbia for uh, motocross, which was exciting. And my grandma helped me get there. So grandma, wherever you are, I love you. I know where you're at because I talked to you, but I just want you to know you and grandpa changed my life. In fact, chances are really good, if I'm brutally honest, that without my grandma and grandpa's presence, I may have ended up dead like my brother who committed suicide due to the stress in the family and the pain of the family. So grandma and grandpa, I've carried it forward the best I could. I love you. The next great influence in my life came when I was 12. My mother was a Christian scientist up till the time I was 12, and her friends Greg and Nancy Doherty, who I'll talk about later, had been studying with the Self-Realization Fellowship, which is Paramahansa Yogananda's foundation, and introduced my mother to it, and it radically changed my whole life, my mother, our whole family, really. And Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings are absolutely beautiful and, and incredible. His most famous book is The Autobiography of a Yogi. And if you get it on audio, it's narrated by Ben Kingsley, and it's absolutely excellent, just beautiful. And so I read that book when I was uh, younger, um, not when I was really young, because I didn't read my first book till I was 21, which I'll talk about later. But The Autobiography of a Yogi is just a mind-blowingly good book. Yogananda's philosophy is very holistic. It really includes what I call the four doctors. He teaches about the importance of using your mind to create happiness and to deal with challenges in uh, positive ways. He was very, very knowledgeable about, and his whole philosophy is inclusive of diet. So he was very good at teaching people how to use their minds, how to calm their minds, many different approaches to meditation. He was very big on exercise, very big on working hard. And he had a very, very deep skill set and was very, very well known by those that were alive to work with him um, to be a true mystic, an absolutely legitimate guru who could do wild and crazy things. Uh, some of the things that I remember that reading about or having monks that were with him tell me about 
Um, again, an example is once he was doing a demonstration when he first came to the United States. He was on stage in front of thousands of people, and he was showing them, you know, what he'd learned through yoga and how he could control his body. And he asked if there was any physicians in the room, and there was many of them. So he brought a bunch of physicians up, and and the story goes that he had a physician on each uh, ankle at his radial pulse, each or, or at his posterior tibial pulse, each arm on the radial pulse and then another one on each of his carotid arteries and he would ask them to tell him what his heartbeat was and he would give them each a different heartbeat and then he would rotate the numbers around his body so what was once in his ankle would now be in his wrist what was in his left side of his neck would go to his right and he could consciously control any part of his body and make each of the physicians have different pulses he did a demonstration on stage one time where there was a bunch of policemen there to watch over him because back then there was still a lot of racial bias and he was an Indian man. There was a lot of policemen there to keep crowd control and he was only about five foot one or two and he brought a couple of big policemen up on stage and he asked one of them to try to push him over and the man could not budge him. So he said, get the next one. The two of them tried. Well, he ended up having something like 13 policemen on stage in something of a rugby scrum trying to push him over, and they could not even budge him one iota. One of my favorite monks was Brother Triananda. When I was in summer school, summer camp, with the Self-Realization Fellowship monks, I was, it was the summer of my 15th year, and Brother Triananda was probably about in his 70s then, but he had spent a lot of time directly with Yogananda. And he told the story that one time a famous Olympic sprinter came to visit Yogananda, but the guy was very skeptical of Yogananda, but at the same time interested because Yogananda had a huge following, including people like the Beatles and many other famous movie stars. And so Yogananda could see that he was very skeptical, and Yogananda said to him, so I hear you're a sprinter. And he said, yes. And he said, if I could beat you in a running race, would you believe that I'm for real? And the man apparently giggled and laughed and said, yes, if you can beat me in a running race, uh, it would be more than impressive. So they took him down to the beach right here in Encinitas at Swami's Beach, and the tide was out, so Brother Triananda told me that they stood next to a big rock, and about 50 yards ahead was another big rock sticking out of the beat, out of the sand. And Yogananda said to the guy, okay, he'll start us off, and Brother Triananda talks about how it was ready, set, go. And apparently the sprinter came up from his start position, had only taken three steps, and Yogananda was already coming back from the other rock. <laughs> it just completely and utterly blew his mind. And uh, he became a devotee of the Self-Realization Fellowship. And there's many other stories, and these are not people that tell lies. I want you to know that. These monks were people that just really touched my life and my heart, and were the only people that could answer all the questions that I didn't get answered in Christian Sunday schools or from Christians or anybody like that. In fact, just kind of got pushed to the side or ignored. 
When I was in summer camp, Brahmachari Dennis, who Brahmachari is a, is a monk in training, he's now a f- long time ago a full blown monk, but I don't know what they change their name when they become monks. But Brahmachari Dennis was an incredible man. He was an absolutely beautiful human being. <laughs> I remember asking him, you know, don't you have to be celibate as a monk? And he said, yes. I said, isn't that hard for you? You're a very good looking man. I'm sure the women love you. And he said, oh, I had enough sex to last me a lifetime before I joined the order. So he says, I'm okay. But it was just cool. But you could talk to these monks about anything. I mean, anything. And they just were incredibly wise and beautiful. And while I was there, my camp uh, the, my my camp group leader was a man named Richard Sinnott, who was a landscaper from um, Carlsbad, Encinitas area, and he was an amazing counselor, and later he offered me a job, and so when I was 18, just before my first son, Paul Jr., was born, I flew to back to California and worked in Carlsbad lived on the beach in Carlsbad and worked for Richard Sennett for, I don't know, probably three quarters of a year. And uh, he was just a great mentor to me and a great teacher and gave me adult responsibilities and really valued my my um, work ethic and my ability to get jobs done and to uh, used tools and technologies, which being with my father on the farm was a no-brainer because I was doing all sorts of stuff all the time. And so he also supported me when I got out of the army and went to massage school because I was pretty much broke. And he let me live on his property in one of his trailers uh, in Encinitas, um, about 15 miles from uh, massage school. So I went to the Sports Massage Training Institute and he let me live there on his property, which really helped me get my career started. So thank you, Richard. The next big influence on me, as a kid, we weren't allowed to have a television. But every now and then when I was at my friend's house, I would get to see Jack LaLanne on television. And then throughout my life, when I did have a television, I would still see him. And he always just blew my mind at how strong and how much endurance he had and his commitment to health and vitality. So from the earliest times of my childhood, he was really my icon for what it truly means to be healthy. And he was a very loving man. He was not a showboat. He was, I mean, yes, he showed his strength, but to help people, he wasn't a, you know, a fake man. He was really the real deal. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. I remember seeing him in his mid or late 70s swimming and pulling a barge and all sorts of things behind him for like a mile and doing amazing stunts like pulling train cars with his teeth and crazy stuff like that. So he was a real positive influence on my life. Next When I grew up, there was a family that was very dear to me and really supported me in many ways, and that was the Roller family from the Comox Valley. And Len Roller was a master mechanic. He was a master mechanic in the Navy, and he did a lot of work with NASCAR race cars. He was very famous for his skill as a mechanic. Uh, Race car drivers from all over came to him to build their engines and do problem-solving 
When I later became a stock car racer and a drag racer, he helped me on a number of occasions to solve riddles. And when I was a kid, I was buddies with Mark Roller, whose bigger brother was, excuse me, uh, with Brent Roller, whose big brother was Mark and little brother was John. And these guys were all very excellent motocross racers and and ranked uh, nationally in Canada. And Len Roller and the Roller Brothers took me on the road quite often with them racing motocross. I was sponsored by a local Honda shop, but um, we needed more financial support. Motocross racing is very expensive. So Len Roller and the Roller Brothers took me with them to lots of races and covered my travel and food expenses and really helped me out. And Brent Roller was just an unbelievably good motocross racer. Um, you know, I really expected one day he might be one of the best in the world, but his interests seem to have changed over the years. And Mrs. Roller and Mr. Roller were also great people. And Len Roller let me work for money in the summertime um, at his shop, helping him do work on cars, clean engines, take out spark plugs, get parts. And he ran that shop like a surgical center. We kept that place so clean you could literally eat off the floor. And he really taught me about the importance of keeping things in order, how to take an engine apart without losing parts, how to clean things, how to assemble things, how to troubleshoot. So already, as early as 12 or 13 years of age, I got an excellent internship in mechanics from Len Roller, and he did a lot of work on my race bikes too and made them very, very fast. And so his teaching really set the stage for my life. He was a real hard taskmaster like my father, but if you did a good job, <laughs> you were okay, and I didn't want to let him down. And so um, he really gave me an incredible beginning that turned out to be very essential because later when I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, I worked in um, combat aviation and my job was repairing weapon systems on Cobra helicopters and the schooling was a year long and very intense, heavy, heavy study in mathematics and electronics school and working with, you know, multi-million dollar Cobra helicopters and the skills that he taught me helped me excel, and I did extremely well in my training, and I really attribute that to Len Roller, and earlier I went to trade school to become an automotive and industrial repairman, where I learned mechanics and hydraulics and tire repair and many other things, and I graduated at the top of my class, again because of Len Roller's amazing education and the opportunity to work for him and be with the Roller Brothers, and race with them. And they were all incredibly people, uh, incredible people, very hardworking. And Mark Roller and I used to work together uh, quite a lot. We worked on a drill rig together and various other jobs. And they were all hardworking, very intelligent uh, young men. And uh, they still stick with me in my heart and soul today. So thank you to the Roller family for your huge contribution to my life. Um, I, I know Len Roller has died. I'm not sure if Mrs. Roller is alive at this point, but uh, I send you all my love.
The next person that changed my life is my son, Paul Check Jr. He was born when I just turned 18. I turned 18 August the 24th, and he was born September the 10th, and, uh, 1979. And it was a wild experience, the whole process. I was quite young. I was 17 when my first wife, Sue, got pregnant. And... Uh, it was scary. My parents were broke. Her parents were broke. So I had to make it on my own. And that took all the hard work training my father had given me and put it right to the test immediately. But two things I want to share about the experience of my son that changed my life. The first one is that I was in the hospital with Sue. She had a very tough labor for 72 hours. and and ended up having to have an episiotomy, which is a very antiquated approach that I'm glad they're not doing so much or at all today, I hope. But when Paul Jr.'s head came out of the birth canal, I had my first full-blown union experience where I became one with the entire universe, and it was utterly profound. It, it, it shifted me, and it, it's still with me today. Just thinking about it takes me back into this state of mystical union, which I've had too many times to count in my life now. But I think the arrival of my son blew my crown chakra and six chakras wide open, and my heart as well. And um, I, I was very in love with his mother and, and him, and I still am, uh, and I still get along great with, with Sue, his mother. And Paul also changed my life because he suffered my need to be a man and make money and do something in the world. And he came before I really had a sense of who I was, so I had to work very hard to develop a unique identity and to uh, do what I had to do to uh, build myself up, educate myself and ultimately what led to the development of the Czech Institute. And now as a father of two young children, and with a lot more life experience, I look back and I see how much he sacrificed for his father's career and how painful that was for him. And now I'm a grandfather. He's got a, a partner and a beautiful baby of their own, and she's got three boys. And he is doing so much better of a job at being a daddy than I did for him. It's amazing that he was able to transcend his father's lack of fathering experience and is able to keep bread on the table, make a good living, and spend time with these kids and really father them. And he helped his partner, Katie, and she helped him too to work with lots of life challenges and heal from addictions and things like that. So I'm very proud of my son, and he, in many ways, is is a real key part of my um, career uh, because he taught me a lot and he sacrificed a lot for his father. And his arrival was my first profound spiritual experience. So thank you, Paul. I love you, and I love your family, and I'm excited for your future. 
The next person that changed my life right around the time Paul Jr. was born was a buddy of mine named Chris Steckley. Chris was a logger, and he made a lot of money logging. And I was a stock car racer, and Chris Steckley was a motorhead like me, but he really believed in me as a stock car racer, and he invested quite a lot of money in my race car and actually bought my racing engine and was a key player on my pit crew and provided enough money to support me and uh, add to the sponsorship money to allow us to be very, very competitive. And with Chris's support, I was able to set three track records and I actually almost became a professional stock car driver, but life took me in a different direction. But I just want to say that Chris Steckley was probably the first real friend and real supporter and person that really believed in me, that really contributed to an amazing part of my life and the great intensity and joy of competitive stock car racing. So Chris, wherever you are in the world, I still love you, buddy. The next person that changed my life was a medical doctor named Rudolph Ballantyne, MD, who wrote the first book I ever read in my life. I hated reading as a kid. I failed reading in the third grade. I'm quite a right brain guy, and I didn't like school at all. And I came across this book, Nutrition, A Holistic Approach, which is a very big book. That's, I don't know, 400 and something pages, if I remember right. But it was the first book that held my attention. And I realized looking back that I had a sole contract to find that book because it taught me at the tender age of 22 what nutrition really was and what holism and holistic health really were. And because my mother's a yogi and my parents are farmers, I already had enough life experience to really understand the principles. And so I devoted myself to that book. And I remember finishing that book on a bus coming back from a 10-mile running race at the Pentagon where I was representing the Army with a, a bunch of other guys. And I was so excited that I finally read a book for the first time in my life that I stood up in the bus and yelled, Yoo-hoo! I just finished my first book in my whole life. And they all started laughing at me like they thought I was joking, but they didn't realize it was true. But that book really laid the foundation for my entire career. And uh, so, Rudolph Ballantyne, you changed my life. And I bet you if any of you read that book today, you'd find it as juicy as I did. Next is my coach from the U.S. Army boxing team, which was not an easy team to get on. We were the third best amateur boxing team at the world at the time. And a long story made short, I also represented the Army in triathlon and was going to leave the boxing team to train full-time for, for triathlon. And Coach Johnson said, don't go, stay, we'll give you the job as the trainer. Anybody that can train as much as you do and win as much as you do and fight like you do, and the way you eat is so different, he said, you need to be the trainer of this team. So he actually is the one responsible for starting my entire career as a holistic health professional, sports massage therapist, 
and he allowed me and asked me to take over all the conditioning, weightlifting, calisthenics, every aspect of conditioning. I also applied my knowledge of nutrition, which I'd been studying as a competitive athlete for many years as a child and learned from my mother. So I took over nutrition, conditioning, and management of the Callahan Boxing Arena, and I also got to work with an osteopathic physician who was the team doctor for two years, where I learned a lot about taking care of sports injuries, which laid the foundation for my career, so that by the time I left the Army and went to sports massage training school, I already had quite a lot of knowledge, and it turned out to be not only useful to me, but everybody in massage school, including the instructors. And Coach Johnson became the Olympic boxing coach in 1988. And though him and the other coaches used to constantly ride me and give me resistance for the techniques I was using and developing with the fighters, I got a phone call from one of my friends who was an Olympic boxer that used to train with me going, Paul, you wouldn't believe it. Coach Johnson's still using all the stuff you taught us on the boxing team with the Olympic team. So I said, give me his phone number. So I called him up and said, hey, Coach Johnson, what's this? I hear you're still using all my stuff and you constantly rode me about it and made me bring you books and everything I could to prove that I wasn't doing crazy stuff. And he said, what can I say, Paul? You were just way ahead of your time. But Coach Johnson actually trusted me. He had faith in me. He was a great fighter himself. He used to be a national champion heavyweight boxer. And he gave me two years to really do everything I needed to do to lay the foundation for my career, including becoming the first full-time massage therapist in the Army to work with any elite sports team. And I handled the entire Army boxing team of 30 men myself. And so thank you, Coach Johnson. You changed my life. The next great teacher I had after I went through Sports Massage Training Institute and then did advanced training to get my holistic health practitioner's license in the state of California was Mariano Roccobato, who is a PhD in physical therapy and dentistry from the University of Santiago, Chile. And Roccobato was here teaching courses for many years in the United States. And he was very unusual. His understanding of the body <clears throat> was just phenomenal. He knew the interconnections of the body like very few people alive. He taught me a lot about the, the jaw, the neural connections to the jaw, how it relates to the head, neck, and body. And I went through all of his training. I took some of his advanced training three times because of the complexity of it. But unlike other instructors, he did not get upset when I asked questions or when I challenged him. I took <laughs> thousands of pages and notes and he really was a masterful teacher and a very very skilled physical therapist and a really cool man so he really sort of showed me what it looked like to be a real authentic teacher that really knew his stuff he wasn't just a talking head he can answer all my questions he would even acknowledge how deep and challenging a lot of my questions were. So he gave me a lot of confidence in myself. So thank you, Mariano Roccobato. You're an amazing teacher, amazing therapist, and an amazing man. 
The next person that changed my life was a man named Paul St. John, the founder of neuromuscular therapy. I did all of his training, including his advanced training in pelvic floor therapy, which included vaginal and rectal, intravaginal and interrectal therapy, which was way ahead of its time. Eventually, he got shut down because they wouldn't let massage therapists do intrapelvic work, but I got my training before he got shut down. But the system that he developed was very comprehensive and gave me extra knowledge to help a lot of people, and I've helped countless people with the training from Paul St. John. So thank you, Paul St. John. You changed my life. The next great teacher that, uh, although I had many great teachers, but the one that really I want to talk about next is a physician, a physiatrist from the Czech Republic named Vladimir Yonda. He passed away several years ago now, but I took all of his workshops, I traveled to the Czech Republic to do advanced training with him and another famous physician, Carol Levitt, and worked with many of the great doctors from the Czech Republic in the Charles Hospital in an advanced training program. And I was only able to get in because Vladimir Yonda knew me and really appreciated me. I studied his work intensely, it was very, very uh, comprehensive and deep and far beyond anything that you could find in, in the uh, western regions of the world. Uh, in other words, Canada, United States, etc. He was a pioneer in advanced research with EMG studies, uh, motor disorders. He had a deep knowledge of the viscera, the internal connections to the body, um, the man's skill level was just unbelievable. He had polio, so he was in a wheelchair, but he was a very cool guy, great sense of humor. He loved working with me. He loved my questions. He loved the fact that I read all of his books and all of his works and, and could recite them to him verbatim and tell him exactly what page and paragraph everything came from, so he knew I was a serious student. He taught me a hell of a lot. And when I started developing my own education system, I included a lot of his material and referenced him, and I would send him every video that I made, and he would write me letters back, and he would say how grateful he was to see his work making it into different arenas, be it allied healthcare, conditioning, etc. But he was very grateful and very supportive and really inspired me to keep going and loved what I created as the Czech Institute. So thank you, Vladimir Yonda. You changed my life. I suspect you've probably heard me talk about the pain teacher before on this podcast. The pain teacher comes to quicken consciousness and awaken us to habits, patterns of behavior, or diet and lifestyle factors, such as addictions, that we often act out unconsciously, reflexively. When you acknowledge pain as your teacher and really bring awareness to the issues at hand, you realize how incredibly beautiful the human design really is. Well, as we all know, the world has had a major visit from the pain teacher lately. But the point of the pain teacher is that it is a teacher, and until we learn to pay attention and participate affirmatively, the pain teacher only comes back stronger and stronger every time. This is an opportunity for learning and growth every time we fail every time we injure ourselves, every time we have a relationship breakdown or get sick. 
The world is learning a lot about what we really value right now. In fact, even though the economy is opening up, more and more people are quitting their jobs. Why? Because they realize the importance of having a career with meaning that aligns with their values. That's something most companies and jobs just don't offer. If you're one of those people, if you're looking for a meaningful career helping people create more health, vitality, and freedom in their lives, then here's my suggestion. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash L number 4D Academy. That's chekinstitute.com forward slash L4D Academy now to learn more about the Czech Academy. This is the elite education system I built with Gavin Jennings, our CEO, to teach you all of the skills as a therapist and business owner to become one of the best holistic health and performance practitioners on the planet. It's helped people launch successful careers in training athletes, in corporate wellness, spinal rehabilitation, helping clients with chronic metabolic diseases, mental, emotional, and spiritual challenges, and so much more. And you can complete the entire system for much less than it will cost you to go to college and start making an income while you're in training. If you're ready for a change or to add a powerful new dimension to your skill set and be the change the world needs now, it's time to apply for the Czech Academy at chekinstitute.com L number 4D Academy. That's chekinstitute.com L4D Academy. We look forward to all of you joining us to make the world a better place. Next, I mentioned earlier my mother got introduced to Self-Realization Fellowship by Greg and Nancy Doherty. And when I started the Czech Institute, the Americans wouldn't take my classes in any kind of numbers. So ultimately, ended up going through a bankruptcy. And I got asked to come teach in Australia by a massage school there. And my mom and dad's friends, Greg and Nancy Doherty, had immigrated to New Zealand a few years before that. And they had a big multi-level marketing system. They sold vitamins, and Nancy Doherty is a touch-for-health therapist and and, uh, many other types of therapy, but very skilled therapist. And they had a big network, and so they actually invited me to New Zealand and started running my first workshops, and for many, many years were my distributors who managed the Uh, marketing and management of my education through the Czech Institute for Australia and New Zealand, and really launched my professional career in the South Pacific. And from there, it grew worldwide. So Nancy and Greg Doherty changed my life because they really believed in me, and they really supported me, and they believed in my education system, and they saw how powerful it was. And in fact, Greg, who used to be a shipbuilder, went through training with me and became a very skilled Czech professional himself. So thank you, Greg and Nancy Doherty. You changed my life. About that time, uh, I had been going through my wife, first wife and I got a divorce uh, about a year and a half earlier before I was working in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, right around 1995, I believe, when I first started the Institute. And I had had a hard time with women because women, even though they loved that I was a smart guy and that I was a fit guy and that I got lots of work done and I was getting to be pretty famous, they didn't like that I worked a lot. And so typically what would happen is about 90 days into a relationship, they would start whining and complaining and and really being a pain in the backside and 
detracting from my ability to do the work I came to the world to do. So I came to the realization that I had to find a partner that understood me, understood business, liked travel, wasn't insecure. I had a lot of girlfriends get very freaked out when women would approach me on stage and hug me and kiss me and stick their room numbers in my pocket and all sorts of stuff. And they would, I'd have these beautiful women going into complete meltdowns in hotel rooms, driving me absolutely batty. And so I realized I had to use Yogananda's soulmate's prayer and get really clear what I needed in a partner. So I wrote everything down I needed in a partner. I use Yogananda's soulmate's prayer, which is, bless me that I choose my life companion according to the laws of perfect soul union. And I meditated most days for an hour and did that prayer and visualized my partner. And one day... Almost exactly a year and a half later, I was in Australia between workshops and I had a very vivid vision of a woman. And I intuitively sensed that was who I was going to be married to. And I asked my inner self, is that the woman I'm going to marry? And the answer was a strong yes. And lo and behold, in my next seminar at the Australian Institute of Sport, in Canberra, Australia, where I was teaching a large group of elite physical therapists the concepts that I brought, such as core control and things like that, Penny walked in, and I went, oh my God, there she is. And every acupuncture meridian in my body lit up like a Christmas tree, and it was like a lightning bolt had struck me. Well, we connected and and spent some time together, had dinner together, and then she had to go away uh, because the seminars were over, but she came back to visit me again a couple of weeks later. We spent four days together and fell in love, and we got engaged after four days, and we've been together, I think, 25 years. And I've been married 24, but when you count from the time we got together to now, it's been 25 years. And Penny is the hardest-working, smartest woman I've ever met in my entire life. She's got three master's degrees. She's got a master's in biological anthropology from Cambridge, a master's in um, exercise and sports science from Colorado State, a master's in business administration from Colorado State, and she's a pilot. And Penny took over the institute. She managed it really well. She grew it. She edited all my work. She published many books with me. I'm on my 12th book. I'm writing my 12th book now. We self-published. We were runners-up in book uh, book publishing awards. She really is the mother of the Institute. I also told Penny when I got together I didn't think I could be monogamous because I just found it uncomfortable and unnatural and let her know that to be married to me meant that we would have to have an open relationship, and she was fine with that, and she told me what her criteria which were, which I've always met. And... I can say that I've never been so loved by a human being. Penny is right there with my grandma, Florence, and that I talked about earlier. And she has worked so hard, and she, with all that education, could see clearly how advanced my system was and how functional it was and devoted her life to getting my teachings to the world. And she has loved me more thoroughly than any human being and has taught me 
what it looks like to be in your power as a woman. And it's mind-boggling what Penny can do and what she knows. It's and And then when... Angie and I and Penny became a family, and Angie had kids, which Penny didn't want. She took the role of mother, and now she mothers our two kids with Angie, and she's just an incredible mother. And so, Penny has changed my life in a myriad of ways. She's worked on me. If you think I swear a lot now, you should have heard me when I was younger. Penny taught me not to swear so much. She really helped me be considerate of the fact that if I alienate too many people, then they'll not um, take me seriously or look into my system. And she really felt that my teachings were so important that everybody in the world should know about them. And she just supported me in every possible way. We traveled the world for over 20 years nonstop. And she managed our finances. She's managed the business. She managed all the employees, and she worked and still does work extremely hard, and and I can't, there's not enough words and gratitude, nor could I tell you all the ways she changed my life, but I can tell you that I've asked her to write a book for women on how to love a man, and she says, I'm too busy, they'll have to figure it out on their own, but if there's anybody that really knows how to love a man, it's Penny Crozier, and she even went to training on how to manage a genius. She really feels that I'm a genius, which is quite a compliment from my wife with so much more education than I have. But she actually went to training programs on how to manage people like me, which are called thought leaders. And she's been the most amazing support to help me do the writing and the work and the traveling and all the things that I do. And she manages all the technology and she knows more about computers than the tech guys do. And it's mind blowing. So Penny, you not only changed my life, but you changed my life every day. I love you. Thank you. Next is Tom Campanero, the founder of Total Gym. Tom and I became friends in 1988. I have a great podcast with Tom Tom was really the father I never had, and he is a very deep, very wise businessman. He invited me to be on the Total Gym infomercial. He turned uh, Chuck Norris on to me, and I was Chuck Norris's therapist to help him with various issues uh, a number of years ago and developed a friendship with Chuck Norris through that process. But Tom was a very good and is a very good business consultant, has helped Penny and I through a number of challenging circumstances, such as the 2008 stock market crash where we almost lost everything. And he's just an amazing, beautiful human being who's really a spiritual man, a very wise man. And uh, Tom sponsored all my initial videos. Total Gym was really my chief sponsor, so they really helped put me on the map and help get me credibility within the physical therapy community. So, Tom Campanero, I love you to this very day. You changed my life, and you still do. The next great influence on me was Eugene Sandow. Eugene Sandow, for the longest time, was was the strongest man in the world. Eugene Sandow was the founder of what we now know of as bodybuilding. He organized and ran the first bodybuilding contest in the world in London, England, either 1900 or 1901. 
I've studied all of his books. His most amazing book, Life is Movement, is an extremely comprehensive expose of movement and health that if read or published again today would still be very, very viable. His strength feats have never been repeated that I know of. This guy could do the craziest things. He would stand on stage and do multiple backflips with a 50-pound dumbbell in each hand. He grew up as a circus performer. He, he could do a single-arm clean and press with a 301-pound dumbbell. He could pick up a 301-pound dumbbell from floor to overhead in one clean move with one arm. I've got pictures of him squatting 1,600 pounds. He's lifting a huge log with like 16 people on it. He used to do tricks where he would lay on his back and they'd put boards on his belly. He'd be in the fish pose and they would drive Model T cars over him. He used to take the stirrups of a horse up over the saddle and with one arm would pick up a small horse like a pony and hold it in a single arm press over his head and walk around stage with it. The things this guy did are mind-blowing. If you want to read an amazing autobiography, look up the autobiography of Eugene Sandow or any of his books. And there used to be, if you go to Google Video and search Eugene Sandow, there used to be picture of him, pictures or little old-fashioned videos of him performing on stage with the first black and white cameras. Eugene Sandow showed me what an athlete can be. Eugene Sandow was the strongest man in the world and probably still would be today before they even knew what vitamins were, before there was any sports-enhancing drugs. This guy developed an entire system of athletic development, and it was very holistic. In fact, in his book, Life is Movement, Eugene Sandow says, no man can achieve optimal strength until all his organs are healthy. That is the statement of a very wise human being. In fact, the Mr. Olympia trophy given to this very day is of Eugene Sandow. So, Eugene Sandow changed my life. He also owned an institute that taught corrective exercise, which is exactly how the Czech Institute began. So, his teachings and his career were very, very influential on me and are to this day. Thank you, Eugene Sandow. You changed my life. The next person that changed my life is one of the most, if not the most, successful strength coach in the world, Al Vermeil. He was a strength coach for the Chicago Bulls, the San Francisco 49ers, and many other of the top football and basketball teams in the world. He has over, I think he has 13 or more championship rings from the NFL and the NBA. He recognized, he saw me speaking at the National Strength and Conditioning Association's meetings, and he immediately saw the application of the science of core conditioning that I had developed and also the Swiss ball. He hired me to work as a full-time, anytime consultant for the Chicago Bulls. His policy was anything you got something new to teach me, call me, I'll pay you to come down. He paid me very well. He was very loving, very fair. He had me rehabilitate a number of the Bulls players that their medical staff couldn't figure out. And he really embraced the science of core conditioning and the Swiss ball that I developed. And ultimately from there, due to the uh, Bulls' success, it spread to the Lakers and then blossomed out from there. And Al Vermeil and his 
connection was responsible for me getting jobs working for quite a number of professional sports teams all over the world. He developed an excellent um, approach to conditioning young athletes, children. Uh, He's got a couple of books you can find. He's probably in his mid-80s now. Um, But he really was an out-of-the-box thinker, a genius of a strength coach, a very open-minded man, very intelligent man, and a very unusual man because of all those qualities, especially in professional sports, where sadly you find more of a good old boy network and not near as much intelligence as you think you would. But Alvar Meal broke the mold, and he really supported me a lot and really helped uh, make the Czech approach famous. So, Alvar Meal, thank you. You changed my life. Next is one of the most famous rugby players that ever lived by the name of Mal Meninga, who went from being a star rugby player to the coach of the Canberra Raiders, which is one of the most famous rugby teams in Australia. And Mal Meninga hired me in, I believe, 1995. The top 10 players all had serious injuries. and They were worried their team would not even be able to function in the next season. And he heard about me through some a couple of his strength coaches that had done training with me and brought me in, paid me top dollar, flew me all the way in from the States. And I spent quite a lot of time there in Canberra assessing and designing programs and rehabbing uh, his top athletes. And the next year, they made it all the way to the finals, and I was able to successfully rehabilitate all their players, including then the most highly paid rugby player in the world, Ricky Stewart, who had a very serious double back injury. And the problem was is he had a, uh, two injuries that have opposing um mechanical approaches so if you he had a disc injury and a spondylolisthesis so what you do to the help the disc injury makes the spondylolisthesis worse what you got to do for the spondylolisthesis makes the disc injury worse so nobody what knew what to do and they were going to medically retire him and i rehabbed him and ricky stewart got several more years of professional play and mel meninga was a true humanitarian he treated players like human beings He cared for their well-being, he was open-minded, and he really showed me something that I hadn't seen, nor have I seen since in professional sports, and that was a coach that treated athletes like human beings, not like uh, objects or uh, tools to use and just throw away when you were done with them. And through Mel Meninga, I was able to Uh, become known by many other rugby teams. So I worked with a lot of professional rugby teams in rugby league and rugby union for several years, including the All Blacks in Australia and New Zealand. So Mel Meninga, thank you. You showed me what a coach really can be in professional sports and what an open mind looks like. And you changed my life. Next is Alan Watts. Alan Watts was a very unique man He studied Zen. He was trained as a Catholic priest, if I remember right. He was a very witty, intelligent, funny man. Some of you will be familiar with his work. I found his teachings deeply refreshing and even healing. He had (laughs) the Abrahamic religions dialed in like nobody's business and could show you right where the pitfalls and the gimmicks were. 
and he was a master of Eastern philosophy across the board. I studied his entire collected works for years. I studied Alan Watts. I carried his collected works with me all over the world. I have piles and piles of notes. I've listened to many of his lectures five, six, seven, eight times. One of my favorite Alan Watts books is called The Book, and it really blows the doors off corporate religion and shows you exactly what's going on. Another one that I love is The Two Hands of God. And uh, he's written a lot of books. He's truly a genius. If you go to Gaia TV, they have a series of lectures from probably in the 60s by him that are very good. An incredible human being, Alan Watts. You changed my life. Next is Master Fong Ha. In the year 2000, when I was writing my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I kept finding that a lot of people would go to Tai Chi, but they still were having a hard time meditating, relaxing, because they were so overly focused on technique all the time, so they end up trapped in their head. And I found it took most people about two years of Tai Chi to get to where I needed them to get to in a hurry to help them heal and get over diseases and all sorts of things. And it just so happened that I was reading a book on the ancient lineage of masters in martial arts, several of which had studied with Tai Chi and Qigong masters, and they had a table in this book of the lineage of Tai Chi and Qigong masters. And the most recent one, and the only one still alive that I knew of or that the book talked about, was Master Fong Ha, and in the book it said he lived in San Francisco, California. So what I wanted to do, and I had studied Tai Chi quite a bit, and studied the philosophy and the, and the sort of the mechanics of it, is I wanted to find someone that could not only teach me legitimate Tai Chi, but could work with me to synthesize the principles of Tai Chi into some simple exercises, which then became the zone exercises in my book. So I worked with Master Fong Ha for a few years and then went on my own, and I did Tai Chi daily for approximately 18 years and had many profound mystical experiences, union experiences, non-dual experiences, and that would later be very important, which I will talk about uh, as we get further along here, but Master Fong Ha, when I met him, was in his 70s, and watching him do Tai Chi was a phenomenon. I mean, you know, it's hard to put into words, but he, I would bring him in to, at my Holistic Lifestyle coach programs at the Institute, and uh, occasionally he would fly in and, and do demonstrations and teach Tai Chi to us in Qigong, and the students would be mind-boggled. He would do these demonstrations, and it literally looked like the movies where he would just be flying through the air, and he would mix dance and Tai Chi and Qigong together and animal movements and, and just incredible stuff. I'll never forget the first time when I went to meet him and start training with him. He answered the door and I thought Yoda from Star Wars was who he was because he was short, very wide, very stocky, and his face was wide with eyes like Yoda. And, and I thought, oh my God, this is Yoda. And then he invited me in his house, and I took two steps into his house, and right on the left side where you take your shoes off was a great big poster of Yoda with his lightsaber, and I just cracked up and said to him, I bet you a lot of people think you're Yoda, huh? He said, yeah, it's kind of cute. 
So he took me out into his backyard. He said, well, Paul, I'm going to teach you your first exercise. It's Zen Zung, which means stand like a tree. So he gets me in the right posture and he says, I'll be back in a while. Well, I'm out there standing in this posture and 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, 40 minutes goes by. So finally, after an hour, he comes out and he had a little smirk on his face. He says, ah, you did very good. Very good. He says, most people only last about two minutes before they come looking for me. He said, that was an hour and you're still doing good. And I said, well, you told me to stand like a tree, so I'm standing like a tree. So my relationship with him began sort of in a, in a sort of a fun way with him putting me to the test. And he was just the most amazing human being. Uh, he got cancer a few years back and healed himself with Tai Chi and Qigong. And he really is a master. I've turned a lot of people onto his work. If you just look up fongha.com, he's got lots of videos and neat stuff. He's just a real master. The next person that changed my life was a very, very powerful shaman named Rowena Kreider. I don't know how I came across Rowena Kreider. It's a mystery. But somehow I came across her art which is mind-blowing, and her books. And then I signed up to get notifications through her website. And she was putting on a one-week workshop in the nine Egyptian light bodies. She was knowledgeable about all the ancient systems. Whoever she was, she was probably a, a priestess in a past life because she was unbelievably deep. And I will repeat, unbelievably deep. She probably had about six or seven master's degrees. She was an expert in math, in science, in music, in building. She was a world-class artist. She was a master of, of uh, Eastern philosophy. She wrote books on the I Ching. She was a master of divination. She had extensive training in shamanism. She lived on Mount Shasta for seven years in isolation, doing healing for the world. I can't even tell you all the things that she could do, but she could demonstrate. And she was a feisty, strong-minded, no-bullshit woman. And for the preparation for my first workshop for a week with her, I had to do a mandala. And so she actually introduced me to mandala therapy before I'd ever heard about it, even before I learned it through Jung's work. And it blew me wide open. I had a profound experience, and that led to an outpouring of hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of mandalas. I literally have about a hundred art books full of mandalas. For years, I traveled all over the world doing mandalas every day. They just poured out of me, and the healing effect on me was profound. She could do things like connect to your soul and then sit at a piano and play your music, is the way she would put it. She would play what she would call your song, and tears would come to your eyes. I was in a class with many people and we would all have emotional experiences because she could tap into you and connect to your soul and convert the vibration of your soul into music. And 
you know, back in those days, I was in my late 30s, I was still a badass, tough guy with lots of muscles and a lot of ego, and she could blow me right open. <laughs> and, and I was not used to being around a woman that bloody powerful. Oh my God. And so she also served as a consultant to me for many years. And she would analyze my mandalas and, and read to me and tell me what my soul was trying to teach me, help me when I was going through challenging periods. And she was really an incredible human being. And then many years later, I began having intuitive insights that she was going to die soon, which was sad for me. And so by this time, she was almost 90 and it got so strong, I pick up the phone and called her and I said, Rowena, it's Paul. She said, hello, how are you? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm missing you, but I'm calling you because I keep getting these intuitive hits that you're not long for the world. I said, is there any truth to that? She said, yes, you're correct. She said, the world's just become a little flat for me. She says, it's just not my home anymore. She said, I'll be gone soon. And thank you for reaching out. And she just sort of celebrated with me and talked to me for maybe 45 minutes. And about a month later, she died. And uh, you can still, if you search her on the internet, you can see her art and probably find a lot of her teachings in her books. Rowena, R-O-W-E-N-A, Kreider, K-R-Y-D-E-R. She was my first experience of a real shaman. And she sort of set the bar high for me. And I've met many so-called shaman, but when you've been around a real one, it's easy to tell who's real and who's sort of dabbling or whatever else. All good. I mean, everybody's got their path, but she really blew me open and she gave me my interest in art and art therapy, which led to extensive study in the development of my own system of art therapy, which has helped me help countless people heal. And I've taught art and art therapy to too many hundreds and maybe thousands of people and it's changed their lives dramatically. So if you want to really see what a real shaman looks like and a really deep human being, look into Rowena Kreider. Rowena, wherever you are, I know you can hear me. I love you and you changed my life and what you put into me still helps me help others to this very day. The next person that changed my life might surprise you, but it's Danny Way, the world-famous skateboard star. I've got a couple of podcasts with Danny Way, so I won't repeat the whole story. But in 2006, Danny Way uh, was working with a doctor to help him heal from the same injuries I was working with him on. We were working in tandem, but this doctor was also quite skilled in the use of plant medicines for healing at many levels, and he introduced Danny Way to the use of psychedelic medicines, particularly DMT, and through Danny's experiences, Danny came to me and said, Paul, you've got to go meet this doctor. And so Danny opened the door for my first legitimate uh, plant medicine ceremony with DMT, and I had a full-blown <laughs> enlightenment experience there. I came into complete oneness with all that is and more. And it was so profound, I asked the doctor if he would train me because I could immediately see 
the application of that. And while I was training with him, I did research to find if there was any organizations that I could join to get protection. So I ultimately found the Native American Council, which gave me a legal license to practice through the Native American Council and use any natural substance uh, for healing ceremonies. So Danny Way changed my life because he opened the door to the experience and the stimulation to study. I spent many, many years studying everything about plant medicines, how they work, the biochemistry of it, and really worked to master the use of plant medicines so that I didn't hurt people. And so, Danny, you changed my life, and you still do. He's always bringing me amazing stuff. In fact, he brought me Feel Free, which uh, we have a great podcast with Jerry Ross, the founder of Feel Free, and that's an amazing uh, gift as well. So, Danny, you changed my life, and you continue to change my life. I love you. Next is Rudolf Steiner. Um, I think I was probably about 37 when I came across Rudolf Steiner's teachings, and I still study them, and I spent, you know, probably oh, 20 years really working at his works. I have 180 Steiner books by Steiner and initiates of Rudolf Steiner in my library. And he was born in Austria. He lived at the same time as Carl Jung. He was schooled in science. He went to uh, a polytechnic school for science. He was an expert in philosophy. He was a member of the Rosicrucian Brotherhood. He was an alchemist, and he knew how to use the principles and practices of alchemy physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And with Carl Jung, he helped me navigate the world of alchemy. And ultimately, both of them came to me in visions and I won't tell you the whole story because it would take too long, but basically I was doing a shamanic ceremony, um, which was um, basically being led by Alex Gray on audio CD. And I was doing this in my sauna and it was very profound. So thank you, Alex Gray. And I was really struggling with how to integrate the concepts of alchemy because there's a lot of kind of esoteric, odd stuff in alchemy that um, it's all got its application, but in the Western world, um, you know, unless you want to spend 25 years working with a real alchemist, like if I was to spend that much time with Steiner, I probably could master it. But I'd been studying alchemy for many years, and I found that I kept hitting roadblocks because there was so many different systems in alchemy, and I couldn't decide who was right and, and and then you have Chinese medicine and you have polarity therapy and there's so many of these different systems, but they don't jive together. Somehow they all seem to work, but they're, they're contradictory in many ways. So it was really for several years trying to figure out how do I synthesize this into a working system. And in this shamanic journey, which was completely just sitting in the sauna, listening to shamanic drumming and Alex Gray guiding you through it, um, Rudolf Steiner and Carl Jung both came to me, and each of them handed me a scroll. And they said, one at a time, open the scroll and look at it. Steiner's scroll had what is now the outer emblem 
of the Czech life process alchemy system that dealt with the physical systems of the body. Then Jung handed me a scroll, and I opened it and looked at it, and it had the alchemy of the inner aspects of the soul and the spirit and consciousness. And when I took these two maps, which of course are I'm working with them in the astral dimension, but I quickly drew this down as soon as I could. I just reconnected to them and I drew the maps down and integrated them. And there it was. All the obstructions that I had not been able to figure out had been resolved and my system was born. So Rudolf Steiner, and I'll get to Carl Jung, but Rudolf Steiner's teachings are absolutely deep. I mean, deep, baby. I've been studying him a long time, and it's hard work because all of his teachings were direct translations from Austrian into English, usually by people that didn't speak English very well, so there's no change in the syntax. And like Jung, and often Ken Wilber and others, they develop their whole their own language. So you got words that nobody except the people that study with them know, and almost all these Steiner books are from lectures to advanced students. So sometimes he's using words and concepts, and you don't know what they mean for 30 or 40 pages or two chapters later, and finally you go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Most people don't have the discipline to labor through that. So Steiner... Some of the other things about Steiner, that if you're not familiar with him, he was a mystic par excellence. This guy was incredibly gifted and talented. He had extraordinary clairvoyant abilities. He is the founder of what we know of as biodynamic farming. Rudolf Steiner is the creator of biodynamic farming, which has been shown through research to produce the most nutritious food in the world. He founded the Waldorf School System, which is considered by many, including myself, to be the best school system in the world. And it's based on how a child's mind grows and develops, not only physically or biologically, but spiritually, and it's excellent. And everybody I've ever met that graduated from the Waldorf school system is a very unique, creative individual. He developed anthroposophic medicine, a holistic spiritual approach for healing, and it is designed for medical doctors and it is a very effective system. In fact, Tom Cowan, the famous physician who wrote the book, The Cosmic Heart, and many other books, and has been on my podcast, was an uh, anthroposophic doctor for a very, very long time. Steiner developed a cure for cancer that is still being used today. He developed a system of movement therapy called Eurythmy, which is a form of dance movement that has tremendous healing abilities and has been found to be very helpful for people with speech impediments, such as stuttering. He was a gifted artist and offered extensive teachings on the use of art in healing, and it's also part of his Waldorf school system. In fact, my kids are taught by Waldorf school teachers, and they love it. He foretold of many of the challenges we're facing to this very day, including our current pandemic and the technocracy that threatens to destroy democracy, freedom, free will, and life as we know it. He wrote about it extensively, and I've got many books in my library with him saying very profound things that describe exactly what's going on in the world right now. He also described what viruses were that's very different than the medical approach, but much more authentic and real, 
And if the medical system knew Steiner's teachings on viruses, the world would be a very different place right now. Steiner explained in great detail the spiritual world, the formative forces, the hierarchies of angels, their functions in the universe, and the history and the evolution of the human being and our future evolution. Steiner's understanding of all aspects of human anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, subtle anatomy, spirit, soul, the universe, and God, in my opinion, are unparalleled. There are people who I've studied that are right there with him, but none of them that have covered as much ground laterally as Steiner. I mean, if you think of the things I've just mentioned from one human being, it is mind-boggling. In fact, he also triggered quite a backlash (laughs) wherever he went, but from Christians and other people, because he was a, a more of a, I would call him a Gnostic Christian, the Rosicrucian Brotherhood. It, it wasn't standard Orthodox Christianity, but uh, his first institute or school that he built in Germany uh, got burnt down by people that didn't like him. So he built the next one out of cement, out of stone. Um, you know, he has touched the the lives of of so many people through me and and through his own teachings and my soul. He had extremely deep knowledge of what the soul is, what the spirit is, how it functions, chakra systems, energy systems. <clears throat> it's If you haven't studied Steiner, it's hard to really believe that one human being did all this. He gave over 6,000 lectures. He practically worked himself to death trying to teach doctors and therapists all over the world what was really going on in life and how to grow spiritually. Um, along with Jung, he is one of the people that's changed my life and helped me make the world a better place uh, to the best of my ability. So, Rudolf Steiner, I love you. Thank you for all the meetings you've given me in the astral plane and all the guidance you give me and all the love you give the world. Hi, everybody. I imagine some of you are finding that your mind is not as sharp as it was, or that you can't seem to remember things as well, such as the last page you read in the book, or the key points from a meeting you just attended recently. Do you feel that your brain is taking longer to come online, or that your thinking gets muddled or fuzzy when you've got a lot to get done? If so, Organifi Pure may be just the magic you need. A key ingredient in Organifi Pure, called Neurofactor, showed a significant impact on brain-derived neurotropic factor, which has been widely reported to play a critical role in neuronal development, maintenance, repair, and protection against neurodegeneration. The certified organic combination of herbs in Organifi Pure not only enhances mental clarity and promotes brain-derived neurotropic factor to stimulate the development of new neural pathways, It aids in enhanced digestion, which is important because many cognitive problems are symptoms of poor digestion. To get your Organifi Pure and shop their amazing product line with your Living 4D discount, go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and save 20% on any of their products using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20, that's check 20 during discount. Enjoy. The next great influence on my development, who definitely changed my life, is a mystic named Walter Russell. Walter Russell only had a fourth grade education, but all of a sudden he went into a period of 
shall we say, extreme union with the universe that lasted for 49 days. And he learned the secrets of the universe. And this guy is mind-blowing. He has an incredible depth of understanding of the formative forces of the universe and how they're created and guided spiritually. His teachings on God are second to none. He did not like uh, uh, orth- not orthodox, but corporate Christianity. He thought that was devil's work, and he had very good reasons as a very enlightened man. He was in position to tell you what was real and what wasn't real. He could tell you what parts of the Bible were real and what parts were edited in to control people. His depth of knowledge is mind-boggling. I did his one-year home study course, which is excellent. I'll tell you where to find it in a minute. His teachings on light are still referred to by some of the greatest scientists and minds alive today, from quantum physicists to physicists to technicians. He was an incredible sculptor, an artist, and a teacher. He identified two elements in the periodic table before science had recognized them, and his research was stolen, and I believe two Nobel Peace Prize were given for those findings, which were plagiarized from him, and only later, after they got the rewards and the money, did they apologize to him. They didn't do it in public, they did it to him privately, but that's the kind of crap that goes on out there. Uh he had, as I said, a deep disdain for <laughs> manipulative religion. He's the inventor of what you and I know of as the condominium. He actually invented that concept. He was an archetype, uh, an architect. He built many of the uh, famous buildings that are still in New York City today. He was an accomplished athlete. He occasionally would uh, win figure skating competitions. A fantastic overview of Walter Russell's life and work is available in a a book titled The Man Who Tapped the Secrets of the Universe by Glenn Clark. It's fascinating. He wrote a very comprehensive document to the U.S. government to warn them about the dangers of playing with nuclear power, which is now a book titled The Universal One. If you get that book, it will blow your mind. Be warned, it's very deep and technical, but it's well illustrated. And I've been reading it for years, and it's still, you know, mind-bending for me. And it's mind-bending for even the greatest minds out there. He was ignored, yet that book is still a source of truth about the nature of the world and the universe. And as I said, many of the greatest minds out there refer to Walter Russell. I've read many of Walter Russell's books, and all of have, uh, have helped me understand life, God, and the universe more. He was also an amazing artist, and there's lots of, uh, there's a book on his art. I've got probably a dozen uh, books either uh, directly by him or about him in my library. If you're interested in Walter Russell, you can go to www.dowsers.com. That's Joey Korn's website. He's a master dowser. He also teaches excellent courses, and he Uh, has the rights to distribute Walter Russell's uh, teachings. So you can find all of his teachings, including the one-year study course that I did, which was excellent, at that website, dowsers.com. Walter Russell, thank you. You changed my life. Next is Deepak Chopra. Deepak's been around for a long time, as most of you know. I remember 
in my early days as a therapist, probably back in 1988, I remember probably Deepak's first book. It might have been called Quantum Healing. Um, I, I was just amazed at his depth of knowledge. Always have been. He is the classic Indian mastermind. Uh, you know, Deepak's right up there with with the greatest thinkers in the world, and he's a beautiful man. And as most of you would know, he's contributed a tremendous amount to the spiritual evolution of not only the United States, but the entire world. Um, Deepak's unique because he's a, uh, a medical doctor. He was trained in medicine in India. He then did his boards here. Um, he's just a very deep, loving man that cares about human beings, and he's one of the big proponents of consciousness as primary, not matter, I've listened to many intense debates between him and various elite physicists and people like that. And I must say, Deepak can hold his own against anyone. He is the real deal. Deepak, you changed my life. You put science to spirituality and you eat, sleep, breathe, and live it. And you're an amazing example of a man that uses his ability to not only create a good life for himself, and to create abundance, but to show others that they can do the same. Deepak, you changed my life. Thank you. Next is Joseph Campbell. I don't even remember when I started studying Joseph Campbell's teachings. I have probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 of his books, many of them very big, very expensive books. He made beautiful books. Joseph Campbell is just one of the most amazing people that ever lived on this planet. He is profoundly deep. The depth of his knowledge is just unbelievable. His heart is so beautiful. He is, you know, somebody that, in Yogananda's terms, would be a master of Raja Yoga, which is yoga of the mind. He really used the power of his mind deeply. One of the most profound programs I ever studied and books I ever read was The Power of Myth with Bill Moyers, which is a series which is still available on Gaia and it's probably on Amazon as well. I've watched it probably, watched it and listened to it probably six times and I still am blown away. I keep learning from it. Um, his books and teachings on myth are unbelievable, best in the world, I would say. His teachings on the science of yoga and Eastern philosophy are mind-bogglingly good. His depth of understanding of the mystery of God and life is, is masterful. His mastery of world history, including shamanism, he's got multiple great books on the history of shamanism. He studied shamanism extensively, wrote a lot about it, and through his works I found many other great authors like Marcia Eliade, who is one of the world's experts on shamanism and many other things. And one of the books that Joseph Campbell wrote with a guy named Richard Roberts, Roberts is called Tarot Revelations. It is one of the best books I've ever read in my life on tarot, and I have a lot of probably 50 excellent books on tarot written by very scholarly people like Jungian analysts and people that really have a lot of depth of background. 
And Joseph Campbell and Richard Roberts' book, Tarot Revelations, is profound. And to anybody that thinks tarot is silliness, read that book or zip it. When you read Tarot Revelations and you start really understanding tarot, you'll realize why a man like Joseph Campbell, 38 years a professor of comparative religion and mythology, would study and support tarot. Joseph Campbell, I love you. You are somebody that I aspire to every day. His relationship with his wife was beautiful. She was an elite dancer. He taught in a woman's college. He was very pro-support uh, of women, equality of women. And uh, wow, if you have not studied Joseph Campbell, it is time. I would start with The Power of Myth by Bill Moyers. If you can watch the series on television, it's worth it. It'll blow your mind. The next great influence, who again, I can't remember who came first, Jung or, or Joseph Campbell, they did know each other. Uh, Carl Jung, he, he was just an incredible, incredible deep man, very much a mystic. Uh, he and Steiner came from the same area, they were alive in the same period. I've got a book comparing their philosophies. I'd have never found anything indicating whether the two of them met or not. Um, I believe Jung would probably have been afraid to mention if he was interacting with Steiner because Jung had to walk the line of being a psychiatrist and being a scientist and and uh, not letting people get the wrong impression or his works would have been discredited. Uh, although a man like Jung would have immediately seen Steiner as a huge resource. But Jung was also a scientist uh, in his own many ways. He was also very much a shaman and a mystic. Jung also had two wives, dear to my heart. He did that in the you know 20s when that wasn't really a cool thing to do, but he didn't try to keep secrets from people. He was very honest. Um, he took the world um, out of the orientation of Freud towards the child's sex urges as the primary cause of almost everything. And Freud was one of his initial teachers. He had a bit of a, a painful break from Freud because he just didn't agree with some of, much of Freud's concepts. But he built a system radically deeper and, in my opinion, just night and day more effective called depth psychology. Jung was the one that really pioneered the understanding of archetypes and the universal link with archetypes between myths and fairy tales from cultures all around the world and showed there was something acting in the psyche because the same motifs and archetypes or universal ideas kept showing up amongst cultures around the world at a time when they never would have been able to travel to interact with each other from opposite sides of the globe. Uh, he really taught us what the personal and collective unconscious were and are. He gave an incredible deep exploration and explanation of the human psyche. He taught us what the shadow is. He really had his extensive teachings on the soul. He uh, really 
uh, was a master of alchemy and studied alchemy extensively. He brought a lot of the concepts of alchemy into depth psychology, such as the anima and the animus, uh, which is an anima is the feminine soul of a masculine person. So a male soul is an anima. The female has a masculine soul, which is an animus. He talked had taught the concept of holding the tension of the opposites. He is the pioneer of what we know of today as art therapy. His book titled The Red Book is a mind-blowing look into one of the deepest human beings I've ever studied. His art is incredibly mind-blowing, healing, and inspiring. I've been studying his collected works for probably 25 years. It's a 21-volume set of thousands of pages of very deep, meaningful, uh, meaningful exploration of all aspects of the human life, psyche, the alchemy, shamanism, and things that are very deep and profound. As I said, he helped me, uh, along with Steiner, to create my life process alchemy. In Jung's School for Depth Psychologists, the Jung Institute has produced some of the most intelligent, capable, loving, empathetic, and compassionate helpers on this planet. One of them is Jason E. Smith. I have a great podcast with him on his book titled Religious But Not Religious. I've also interviewed, um, uh, let's see, I've interviewed um, James Hollis, who is a professor of Jungian studies and is very deep and profound. So Jung really left a legacy, and it's still alive and strong today. And uh, I'm very grateful. And I had a profound experience happen one time that I'll share. I was uh, my buddy Rory Mullen, who who's uh, was a, used to be the therapist for the Toronto Raptors basketball team for about twelve years, and he's one of my best buddies. And one year for my birthday, I was lecturing in Toronto and staying with Rory, and he bought me an astrology reading with a famous astrologer named Hassan Jeffers, who at the time was Larry King's astrologer and many other movie stars. And when I first walked into my appointment to get my reading, I sat down in Hassan Jeffers' beautiful high-rise glass office, hoity-toity, way up top in Toronto. And he said, Paul, did you know that your birth chart is almost identical to two very famous people? And I said, no, that's interesting. Who are they? And he said, Carl Jung and Madonna. And it about blew my mind. And he actually took my birth chart put it on a light box, and he had drawn up Carl Jung's birth chart, and the symbols were in almost identical places, just small, tiny little differences, and he did the same with Madonna, and they're two people that I really love. I've always loved Madonna for her willingness to be herself and live to her truth and be out of the box and go for it. So that really helped me understand why I not only am attracted to Jung, but understand the way he sees the world, because astrolog astrologically we have similar psychic influences working through us. So it's quite wild and interesting. The next person that changed my life was Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, a Chinese philosopher sage, was portrayed as a 6th century BC contemporary of Confucius, but some modern historians consider him to have lived during the 4th century BC. The depth of his teachings are recorded in one of the most widely read books in the world, the Tao Te Ching. 
I have about 15 different translations of the Tao Te Ching in my library and have studied them to see how the different translations play out. But the two best, in my opinion, come from the next two people that changed my life, so we'll get to those shortly. What's really amazing about Lao Tzu is that he was able to look at life and what is really the underlying movement, the underlying forces that create, and even what was behind the forces of creation, which he called the Tao. Lao Tzu is the founder of what we know of as Taoism today. He is the creator of the famous Tai Chi symbol, which, in my experience, is probably the most profound symbol of any symbol that exists, due to the fact that it pretty much tells you the whole story of creation in one symbol. You can spend the whole your whole life meditating on that symbol, and believe me, I've probably got about 40 notebooks full of notes from that meditation, or ongoing meditation. Lao Tzu really was the one that gave us the concept of the Tao, and one of the key distinctions Lao Tzu makes is that the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. There's a deep realization in there, and what he's saying is that the, by the use of word, you are dividing the whole. No possible explanation with words can describe that which is indescribable and is the source of word, vibration, and all that is itself. Lao Tzu makes profound comments. For example, when he describes the Tao, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something very much along the lines of, speaking of the Tao, it is deeper than deep, it is blacker than black, it is older than God. And what he means by that is that God is an idea, but the Tao itself is beyond all ideas. It is beyond mind itself. It is a non-dual reality. It is pure, unadulterated, indivisible source. So the Tao Te Ching is a very unique book because it explains how the polarities of yin, the feminine, or the negative, and yang, the masculine, or the positive, act as complementary opposites to produce all that is. It's also a very potent book because it shows what happens when people get caught in given ideas, such as division, isolation, um, he points out that if you build a weapon, your neighbor will build a bigger one, then you'll build a bigger one, and this will go on indefinitely until we're where we're at now, with enough nuclear warheads to destroy the entire planet 179 times over. Now, if you look at that issue, and you consider the words of Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching, which I highly recommend because he did a better job in 81 verses of poetry describing the truth of life, existence, the human mind, and human behavior than pretty much anybody out there, uh, which is why he is a sage. You'll find something very interesting. As I said, we have enough nuclear weapons to destroy this planet 179 times over, which basically puts all the major 
countries with that kind of power in checkmate because nobody can win that war. If one person launches a nuclear weapon, they all have fail-safe mechanisms. Um, and that means others will launch theirs and it will destroy the entire planet. Now, from a Jungian psychological perspective, what that means is we don't have something to channel our, our libido into. The reality of war is the reality of polarity, and you can't have consciousness without polarity. So when you have a world populace that now has the stalemate, the libido or the life force energy gets stuck, and we can't express the negative polarity and we're challenged to express the positive polarity because a positive can't exist without a negative. So what happens is the libido channels itself into issues like extreme nationalism, racism, scientism, and isms of all types. And that leads to people... Uh, falling into dangerous traps that lead to violence and war against even people that you love. All you got to do is look at what isolation did to people and families and the rate of domestic violence went through the roof. Suicide went up sig significantly, something like 20% increase in suicide. Drug use, alcohol use went through the roof because people could not express their energy. They could not move. They were stuck. They were frozen. So Lao Tzu's teachings really describe how those two polarities work so that we can be conscious of them and use them to create not only a life that's better for us, but a life that's better for us because it's better for others or better for nature or better for the whole. And that is a concept that is being destroyed by scientific materialism, unfortunately. And sadly, uh, those ideas really uh, got their foothold in Christianity and its disdain of the earth, its disdain of women, and its patriarchal ideas of control and a one-way top-down type control system that is now emulated and has been emulated for a very long time in the masculine hierarchy of the world. The next person that changed my life was Richard Wilhelm, who translated the Tao Te Ching and also wrote an amazing book called The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life that is an expose of Chinese alchemy and has a beautiful foreword by Carl Jung in it. The reason I love Richard Wilhelm's translation of the Tao Te Ching is a couple of reasons. One, he spent 30 years as a Christian minister in China, but unlike other Christian ministers, he was very wise, and he prided himself on the fact that he never tried to convert a Chinaman, anybody from China, into Christianity. He really did his best to support them and their culture and share other ways of looking at things, which could include the Christian viewpoint, but he did not teach it as an exclusive philosophy. He not only was a master of the Chinese language, but he studied with some of the greatest uh, spiritual masters available to him, so he could really truly understand the Tao Te Ching. 
and work with masters to help get clear explanations of the authentic teachings of Lao Tzu. But in the back of the Tao Te Ching by Richard Wilhelm, there is a quite a good section that expands on many issues. And one of the things that he points out is that the emperors in China have a long history of bringing in sages and masters of Taoism and other philosophies and having them teach them those concepts and then using them and structuring them so that they could use them to manipulate the minds of the public, which is what's been going on for a very long time and continues to this very day for anybody paying attention to what's really going on in the world right now. It's just a recapitulation of an old uh, he-who-has-the-gold-rules story, except now it's being done with digital technology. And again, because we don't have an effective means of channeling our libido because of this checkmate, and because people feel checkmated by government organizations and medical organizations and corporations, it leads to the extremes that I mentioned earlier, which we all have to be conscious of and not get caught in and help other people wake up to. Another fascinating thing was that many years prior to reading Richard Wilhelm, I had spent uh, quite some time, a number of years, meditating specifically on what love is, and my soul had given me the formula that uh, I use and teach. And as I was reading Richard Wilhelm's explanation of the Tao, he basically stated in words that were very beautiful that the formula that I had come to through the guidance of my soul uh, was congruent with what he had uh, understood and learned from the teachings of Lao Tzu. So that was an exciting time for me, a, a kind of a eureka moment. Next is Stephen Mitchell. Stephen Mitchell translated the Tao Te Ching, and it's a beautiful translation. It's one of my fam uh, favorites. Stephen Mitchell is married to Byron Katie, who many of you would be familiar with for her work. Also, Stephen Mitchell produced a really good book on audio. It may be on uh, in print as well. I've got The Tao Te Ching by Stephen Mitchell in print and on audio. And um, his book, the second book of the Tao, is very beautiful. And uh, it's something that I highly recommend. But Stephen Mitchell uh, spent many years and probably still does in his own practice of uh, Taoism or Zen Buddhism, I can't remember which, but he's, you know, his voice and his energy and his words are, are very authentic. They ring true, and, and that makes him very beautiful. So Lao Tzu, Richard Wilhelm, and Stephen Mitchell all changed my life and they help me see things from a much bigger perspective, a much deeper perspective. And I've been able to correlate those 
teachings with many of the other great minds that I'm sharing here. The next person that changed my life was Albert Einstein. I fell in love with Einstein by reading the general theory of relativity, the special theory of relativity, and just studying his life and reading a lot of his amazing quotes. I've studied three biographies of him. I've watched, if you haven't seen the Genius series on Amazon, it has Picasso and Einstein, and they're both extremely worth watching. But Einstein really, you know, was a pioneer on many levels. And he, though he became the most famous scientist in the world, when you study his biographies, he had to work against a hell of a lot of resistance uh, to get his ideas out and to uh, basically demonstrate them through scientific evaluation. Einstein is also one of the founders of quantum physics. I love Einstein because he was a true humanitarian, and he was very, very saddened uh, by the United States' use of nuclear weapons against the Japanese. And uh, though many aren't aware of it, if you do your research, you will find that the Japanese had already surrendered before we dropped the bombs on them. And the American government chose to do that, to send a message to the rest of the world not to mess with the big boys, which is uh, exactly the kind of thing that uh, Einstein did not want to be part of, and nor, I think, would most people that have a little bit of heart in their chest. To give an example of Einstein's wisdom and depth of vision, I will share a comment uh, from him, a quote from him dated to 1954, And as I read it to you, think of what's going on in the world today, and you will see why Einstein was concerned for humanity. Einstein said, The human being is part of the whole called by us universe, a part linked in time and space. We experience ourselves, our thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting our personal desires and affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from the prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. The true value of a human being is determined by the measure and the sense in which they have obtained liberation from the self. We shall require a substantially new manner of thinking if humanity is to survive. And that is a profound, bullseye-accurate statement by one of the greatest minds we've ever known in science and possibly the world. And it is because of those types of realizations and the depth of his investigations and his willingness to be an explorer and a pioneer that Einstein changed my life. Next is Plotinus. When I first came across the works of Plotinus, it was in reference in other books I was studying, and I was so blown away by the comments that the people were referencing that I ultimately 
searched out and bought his entire series of public works called the Enads and many other books. I've probably read 15 or 20 books of the teachings of Plotinus. All of which are just excellent. Plotinus was a major Hellenistic philosopher who lived in Roman Egypt. He was born in 205 AD and died in 270 AD. And though he is considered a philosopher, I feel he really should be considered a mystic, as his teachings were not based on what others had said or written as so much of philosophy is, but his own deep, profound, mystical experiences and his observations of life. Some of the concepts that Plotinus teaches are the one, the unity of all that is. Not only the universe, but everything. Because the principle of the one is really in line with what I've uh, taught my students as unconditional love, or the unknowable source of all that is, or the Tao. Plotinus a very long time ago, remember he died at 270 AD, we're at uh, 2021, so, you know, he, he was <laughs> he was talking about these things before quantum physics was, was even uh, a dream in anybody's head. But he taught us that the vacuum is the plenum, and that's exactly what quantum physics has shown. Plotinus, his teachings and his concepts on the nature of existence are not only profound, they're often referred to by quantum physicists and scientists to this very day. In fact, I've studied at least 15 scientific papers in the last three months that refer to Plotinus and imply that what he stated about the nature of the universe and its source is in harmony with the findings of quantum physics. Plotinus is one of many mystics studied by the great scientists and yet more evidence that what science is learning about the universe was known by mystics long ago. We're not learning anything new. We were just slow to learn the deeper truths of the universe because we have been dangerously distracted by a left-brain dominant scientific materialist approach. And when you lose your right brain, you lose your capacity to comprehend the whole and worship the parts in a form of cultural blindness. Plotinus also was the only person I've ever found in all my extensive studies on the soul, and I've probably read somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 to 120, uh, 150 books on the soul, all of which I have in my library, but he was the only one that really defined the qualities of the soul in a manner that was comprehensible and also something that I could uh, relate to from deep experience of working with my own soul for a very long time now. And he said the three qualities of the soul are that it abides, it represents, and it reflects. So the abiding would be the stillness, the witness aspect. The representing would be your thoughts, words, deeds, choices, desires, and actions. And the reflecting quality of the soul would be the part of us that looks at the choices we've made and the actions we've executed in honest self-reflection to see if we're really adding harmony to the world, 
creating our dreams effectively or growing spiritually. The teachings of Plotinus really read like a synthesis of Zen Buddhism, Taoism, and non-dual philosophies of the Hindu saints and sages. Plotinus and the Neoplatonic philosophers had a disdain for Christianity. Their experience of the One was so visceral to them that the notion of a judgmental God or having to accept Jesus as your savior, savior were insulting to them and their experiences of the truth. Naturally, they felt people were being deceived and were well aware of the ties between the Roman government and the Christian church and their intention to control people and keep them profitable for a few. For those interested in the study of the teachings of Plotinus, the best synthesis of his teachings I've ever found in a readable book that doesn't require a lot of background in philosophy is a book titled Return to the One, Plotinus's Guide to God-Realization, a Modern Exposition of an Ancient Classic, the Enads, by Brian Hines. You can find that easy on Amazon. Just type in Return to the One or search the name Brian Hines, H-I-N-E-S. And it's, of all the books I read on Plotinus, I found that that was the one I was most likely to share with people because uh, you could comprehend it um, quite easily because it's written by Brian Hines for the average person, yet still conveys the deep truths of Plotinus's teachings. Plotinus changed my life. He gave me a view of the universe and of God and of soul that is really an expression of unconditional love and really something that, if people understood, would change the entire world. And I rate people by you know, there's an old saying, never judge a man by the creed he or she professes, but by the life he or she leads. And the more I study people, the more I'm looking to see indicators that they actually live their philosophy, and Plotinus meets those criteria. The next person that changed my life was Confucius. When I was in my 30s, I studied a number of books on Confucius, and I read a very high-quality book that overviewed Confucius's teachings, which I found beautiful. Confucius was a real big um, proponent of classical education and had a huge influence on the entire system of education in China. And he included art and poetry, and he really uh, sought to help produce well-rounded human beings Confucius is actually the creator of the saying that we refer to as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think if we got rid of most scriptures on the planet and just rewrote that statement a billion times and had it cut into the sunglasses and eyeglasses of everybody and contact lenses and uh, made that our motto, then the whole world would change very, very quickly. Um, Confucius was diff different from Lao Tzu in that he was still very much into ruling by government, government 
regulations. And there is a story of when Confucius apparently met Lao Tzu. And uh, the story suggests that uh, Lao Tzu pretty much um, <laughs> tore a strip off him. But uh, for all the, the kind of the the formalism and things that Lao Tzu really uh, did not have any interest in. He didn't feel it was helpful. But the comment that uh, came out of Confucius's mouth when somebody asked him what it was it like to meet Lao Tzu, he said, I have met the dragon. <laughs> so you can <laughs> meditate on what that means. Uh, there's a very good documentary on Amazon on Confucius's life which I think is really worth studying. He he really gave his heart and soul to people. It, it was incredible. And uh, he really tried hard to improve the Chinese culture. And I think he did a lot for not only the Chinese culture, but for the world. So thank you, Confucius. You changed my life. The next person that changed my life is Mahatma Gandhi. And though there's a lot of controversy around Gandhi and his uh you know the way he treated his wife and you know a variety of other things political issues um having studied gandhi enough to know that he 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 like most of these big leaders uh gets attacked from all sides and the next thing you know there's piles of stuff downplaying him but the one thing that gandhi really gave us all regardless of any opinion of him, is that you can use nonviolent approaches to controlling even a superpower. Using nonviolence, Gandhi was able to get India back from the British and the British Empire, as anyone with any background in education knows, is one of the most powerful empires in the world, if not the most powerful. Uh, Americans probably wouldn't agree with that, but if you study the history of England and their ability to rape, pillage, and steal, it's right up there with the Americans. So um, Gandhi did a great thing when he was able to use nonviolence to get India back from the British. And uh, he is somebody who is uh, loved by Vandana Shiva, and she talks about Gandhi's philosophy and how we need to use that to this very day with people like Bill Gates and many others that are doing their very best to not only destroy the world, but control it and you and everything else. So Mahatma Gandhi, I love you. You changed my life. Hi, you guys. I know you all know that super green powders are good for you if they're made from organic sources and they're processed properly so the nutrients are there. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley does with their super greens powder. So I brought Autumn Smith in to tell us exactly how she created it and why and what it's going to do for you when you try their amazing organic super greens powder. Autumn, what is the magic you've got here? Well, 
like you said, we all need to get more of those micronutrients that you find in fresh fruits and vegetables. And so we've created a powder that you do not have to choke down. It has an absolutely delicious berry lemonade flavor. And the reason that it's different is because A, it is all organic, 23 organic superfood ingredients. And B, it is a very, very gut-friendly product because what I found in my practice is that a lot of people don't do well with cereal grasses. And we know cereal grasses, like wheatgrass, can contain lectins that can be hard on the guts of a lot of people I work with. And so what we did was we created a a cereal grass-free alternative. We use high quality, the cleanest, highest quality spirulina on the market, raised in India. And then we added the 22 other organic fresh fruits and vegetables, and the flavor will surprise you. So all you have to do to check it out is go ahead to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15, at checkout. My son drinks it every day. We call it his ninja juice, and I sincerely hope your family loves it as much as ours does. All right, everybody. Go paleo green and get rocking. Hope you love it. The next person that changed my life was Aldous Huxley. The Perennial Philosophy is a book by Aldous Huxley, and it is known and cherished to this day as a classic. The Perennial Philosophy explores the common bonds between all the great religions and philosophies of human history. It's a profound and beautiful book. I just When I read that book, it was many years ago, I maybe have my order out, because as I said, I've studied so much in my career you know, we're talking about a 37-year career here, so, and I have a, you know, a lot of books, but um, when I read The Perennial Philosophy, it touched my soul. It's, it, it showed me that underneath all the world's religions, particularly when you look at the religions from the perspective, not of the organized religious dogma, but from the mystics of each of the religions, that they're really all saying very much the same thing. And that's why I tell people that are caught in religious dogma to study the mystics of their religion, because there's usually a radical difference between what the mystics say of the same religion and what the orthodoxy says. So, you can upgrade your software, no matter what religion you're in, by studying the mystics of that religion. Aldous Huxley also had a Hindu guru that he was studying under, but when Aldous Huxley began exploring higher consciousness with psychedelics, particularly masculine, the guru said that if he was going to continue doing that, he wouldn't work with him. A lot of these gurus, as you know, are very rigid in their rules and have a belief that you can't have religious experiences or spiritual experiences using uh, drugs, which they call drugs, but we call them plant medicines because drugs is just not really the right word if you understand how plant medicines function and how to use them properly. But Huxley chose to stick with the plant medicine, which took him further into consciousness than the guru had. And he not only had a profound series of experiences, but through his books, Huxley touched the lives of millions of people. And if you do a little research on Aldous Huxley, he was a genius and a profound author. And I think he wrote a lot of the Encyclopedia Britannica, if I remember right. But he, all of his books are absolutely excellent. 
And uh, so Aldous Huxley, you touched my life and you changed my life and you helped me feel comfortable in being brave enough to be myself and to be a pioneer in my own way and to take responsibility for my own choices and to have my own relationship with God and not feel that I needed somebody else to tell me what was the truth for me. So thank you, Aldous Huxley. You changed my life. Next is one of my favorite teachers and beings of all, and that is Itzhak Bentov. Itzhak Bentov was a mind-blowing human being. He was an inventor. You could call him a scientist. He's credited for inventing the pacemaker. Uh, He was the first uh, man to scientifically investigate the effects of meditation on the human physiology and mind. And he wrote three amazing books that I've studied over and over again, and to this very day I still love returning back to them because they're so damn good. And, and he did all of his own drawings in his books, which are really cool. And uh, so the book I recommend to most people, particularly because of its ability to convey what spirituality is in scientific principles, is a great book called Stalking the Wild Pendulum. He also wrote a book called The Cosmic Book, and his final book that his wife had to finish because he died in a plane crash, I believe in 1995, is A Brief Tour of Higher Consciousness. And these are just awesome books that I highly recommend everyone read. I mean, if people really studied Bentov's teachings, it would blow their mind. Bentov was also a remote viewer, and I'm a remote viewer, and Bentov had a friend that worked for NASA, and one day his friend was telling him that NASA was trying to figure out what the rings of Saturn were made of. This is in the 70s, late 70s, before there was any space probes to take pictures of the rings of Saturn. And Bentov had already been there remote viewing, and he said, to them that the rings of Saturn are made largely of chunks of ice crystals, or of chunks of ice and debris. And so his friend went back to NASA and told them that, and they pretty much laughed at him and said, that's just silliness. But lo and behold, uh, a number of years later, when the first space probes were able to take pictures, that's exactly what they found to be the truth. So within the group at NASA, Bentov became all of a sudden not a quack anymore, but somebody to be considered as real. So if you study these books, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but Bentov does the greatest job. I mean, just an amazing job of showing what's really going on and who created it all. And I think you'll get quite a little surprise. Now, next is not a person, it's my soul. I don't know exactly when it was, but it was a long time ago. I had read many books on the soul, but I got frustrated because no matter where I looked, what philosophy I looked into, 
nobody actually told how to engage your soul. There was all this commentary about the soul, this, the soul, that. But just an, a dead end when it's, okay, good, you're telling me all about the soul, but you're not telling me anything about how do you engage it? How do you make contact with it? It's just kind of like mythological writings on the soul, you know, like, you know, writing about um, a fantasy dragon that exists inside of you. And and so it, it did what it always does to me when I can't find answers. It, it left me in this state of saying, well, I have to find the answers myself. So I went into meditation and went through my own process, but basically I just said to my inner self, dear soul, if you're in there and you can hear me, give me a sign so that I know that you are real. And I, I, I had been in meditation for quite a while in my sauna, and so I got myself calm with breathing exercises, toning, chanting, things like that, so that I was ultra-sensitive to the movement of subtle energies. And so after I said to my soul, please show me a sign, I had a massive upwelling of energy, kind of like an artesian well shooting up out of the ground or a geyser of steam. And it really shocked me because... Quite frankly, I wouldn't even know how to do that to myself. And so that led to a series of questions, and I asked my soul, what does it feel like when you're saying yes? What does it feel like when you're saying no? What does it feel like when you're saying I need more information or more clarity? Um, that grew to, dear soul, show me what it feels like when you want me to move forward, move backwards, turn left, turn right, look up, look down. And that gave me a basic language to work with my soul. And that really has been the most amazing breakthrough in my entire life. And I have learned to work with my soul. I let it paint through me. I let it stack rocks. I let it choose my clothes. I let it tell me what foods to eat, what proportions to eat, what supplements to take or not take what doses to take. I work with my soul literally constantly. And because of that, I've been able to produce a lot of novel approaches in my Czech education, ways of looking at life, God, I can get questions answered. I can go on journeys with my soul to other dimensions of reality, which I've done countless times. Um, the list is very, very long. And that's one of the reasons that I put so much emphasis in Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2 on making contact with the soul so that we can not only live our lives more fully, but be more effective as a guide for others. And that's probably the most profound thing any of us can do is is develop that relationship with our soul, which in other terms is the highest self. It is really the God consciousness. It is the unconditional love that exists between the polarities of mind, it is that which is seeing, feeling, and experiencing everything in and through us. So thank you, my dear soul. Kidra, I call my soul Kidra, which in Persian means guiding soul. The next person that changed my life and continues to just be a real 
source of love and nourishment for me is the quantum physicist or theoretical physicist David Bohm. David Bohm was an absolute genius. He was very unique as a scientist because he was deeply spiritual. He spent over 20 years studying directly with J. Krishnamurti, who is a Hindu philosopher sage that many of you would know about. He really worked with Krishnamurti to explore mind and consciousness, and David Bohm also developed an entire system and philosophy for quantum physics. He's written textbooks on quantum physics. He's probably one of the most heavily referenced quantum physicists ever. He was there in the beginning of quantum physics. Um, in the early days, he really developed a whole new way of understanding quantum physics, and Bohm is responsible for the concepts of the implicate and explicate orders. And basically what Bohm showed is that once you get below the Planck constant of 10 to the minus 34 centimeters, there's nothing that can be known or measured there. Therefore, all potentials, all concepts or all possibilities are implicate, which means enfolded into pure potential or the realm of the subtle, unknowable, immeasurable. Once you have expression of those quantum potentials or those spiritual potentials, and they enter from emptiness into form in Bohm's model, they become explicate. So you could think of it this way. If you have a tube of toothpaste, what's inside the tube is implicate. It's enfolded into the tube. But if you squeeze the tube, you get a projection that would be the explicate. So when you look out into empty space, you see nothing. Like at night between the stars, there's pure emptiness. But Bohm would tell you that that emptiness is absolutely full. It's just at the implicate level. So what we see as bodies or things or even thoughts in our mind or ideas are expressions of what's hidden in the unknowable. And these concepts he was able to not only demonstrate but prove mathematically. In fact, having studied David Bohm's life and read many of his excellent books, and he was a master of things like creativity, the process of thinking, cre creative and constructive thinking. Um, when you look into Bohm's life, he had some very challenging situations that came up. And one of the things that was really sad for me is his professor, I believe, for his doctoral thesis was Robert Oppenheimer, who is the chief architect of the nuclear bomb, that, the, the bombs that American uh, military dropped on Japan. But Oppenheimer, uh, David Bohm was doing research on quantum physics and, and trying to explain what was at that time unexplainable. And apparently there was a challenge that nobody had ever solved mathematically, and David Bohm solved it. And when he turned his paper in to Robert Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer was so utterly blown away that instead of celebrating and acknowledging Bohm's genius, he basically shunned Bohm and 
kind of turned him into a second-class citizen because Robert Oppenheimer was so insecure that David Bohm was so extremely intelligent and was able to figure something out that Robert Oppenheimer himself could not figure out. So Bohm was a deeply spiritual man that had to deal with a lot of problems in confrontation and left many amazing books. And he's probably one of the most heavily referenced human beings in the field of science, particularly quantum physics, because his concepts are absolutely revolutionary and beautiful and explained a lot that could not be explained by uh, scientists. And still, to this day, the many great minds refer to his work. And his approach has direct application to spiritual development. And he really showed that the quantum concepts and processes do have import into our normal, ordinary life, in which we are kind of caught in the classical world of, of causality, determinism, and this what's called the standard model. So, having listened to all the interviews with David Bohm and Krishnamurti and read many of his books and numerous scientific papers on his work or referring to his work, multiple documentaries, um, just to show you my relationship with David Bohm, I have pictures of each of these key people that changed my life and every day as part of my prayers, I blow ceremonial smoke to them and connect to the soul of these people and thank them for touching my life and my soul and helping me help other people. And David Bohm is on my altar. And when I pass, he'll be one of the first people after my grandma and grandpa that I and my brother that I go find and give a great big hug and tell him how much I love him. So if you really want to learn about the universe and about life and mind and creativity and meditation and many other things, look up David Bohm. The next person that changed my life is the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is embroiled, unfortunately, in a lot of controversy. Some say he's got ties to the CIA. Um, I recently saw a picture of him getting a COVID vaccination, which concerned me deeply because uh, that really doesn't fit well with the philosophy of the Dalai Lama. So I'm wondering who's putting political pressure on him and how much. But that aside, I've studied, you know, too many books to even remember on the Dalai Lama and his teachings, and he's got a deep love of science. He he brings people together from all over the world on a pretty much an annual basis and has a conference on key topics. The Dalai Lama really taught me a lot about emotions and, and how they work in the psyche. Um he really brought a lot of pioneering scientists together to, to help us understand uh, the mind a lot better. And his overall teachings and philosophies are just incredibly good. And the life that he lived and the trauma of having over a million of his pe people murdered by the Chinese military and having to run for his life and be you know losing their home and 
you know, when you see how he handles all that, he's a real living example for all of us. And as I think I mentioned earlier, my mother's a world-class sculptor, and I'm sitting here right now looking at a beautiful sculpture of the Dalai Lama. In fact, it's so amazing. It looks like the Dalai Lama is right here in my office with me. And so, thank you, my mother, for the beautiful sculpture of the Dalai Lama. And thank you, Dalai Lama. You've changed my life. Next is somebody that's truly amazing. Um, wow, I, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's emotional for me to talk about this guy, but it's Kabir, K-A-B-I-R. Kabir was a, a Hindu-Muslim mystic. One of his parents was Hindu, one was Muslim, which unfortunately in India put him into a tough situation because he ended up getting a lot of um, racial bias from either side. The Muslims didn't like him because he had Hindu blood and the Hindus didn't like him because he had Muslim blood. But the story of Kabir is is very interesting. Kabir had spiritual inspirations from a very young age, and he had to figure out how to join the master that he knew was the right one for him. So, because it's a long story, I won't tell you the whole story, but basically he tricked his guru into accepting him, which was quite funny the way he did it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you real quick. He couldn't get close to the guru because there's just people around him all the time. and So he would study the guru and he noticed that every morning the guru would go to this particular uh, beach, I believe on the Ganges, to do his spiritual practices. And his guru was blind. And so what Kabir did was laid down at the foot of the steps that he had to go down to every morning so that... The, uh, when the guru came down, he had to either trip on him or step over him. But anyhow, the guru, if I remember right, tripped on him. And then that started a conversation. And Kabir used his already well-developed powers to uh, talk the guru into letting him join his, his uh, sangha, if you will. And so within a short period of time, the guru realized... <laughs> who the real guru was. Uh, he found out quickly that Kabir could read his mind and knew exactly what he was thinking and also knew when he was not following his own teachings and reminded him of that. So ultimately, Kabir left the guru, but the guru admitted outright that Kabir had already passed beyond him. And there's a beautiful book called The Songs of Kabir by Rabindranth Tagore, which was given to me many years ago by uh, a lady who was my assistant and a, a very close personal friend of mine, Vidya McNeil, who is also deep into Eastern philosophy. And I carried that book literally everywhere around the world. I, I still have it. In fact, I had to go get it out of my travel briefcase to look at it, to get some notes uh, for this podcast. And it's all torn to pieces. The binding's broken. It's been around the world probably 15 times. 
And whenever I get stuck in a line or sitting somewhere, I always, uh, if I don't have something else, I always pull out the Songs of Kabir because it's a book you could read a thousand, thousand times and still learn something. There's some very unique features about Kabir. Kabir did not like the caste system at all, naturally being caught between the world of the Muslims and the world of the Hindus and suffering so much for that. He already had experienced a lot of racial bias and he did not like the caste system. And so Kabir became a very famous teacher. But Kabir would allow anybody, including what in India are called the untouchables, which are the dirty people that the Brahmin or the elite class <clears throat> won't let near them. And if they even get touched by one, they'll go uh, burn their clothes or get rid of them and bath. And it's like they've been sprayed by a skunk. But Kabir would basically have these open teachings where anybody could come and so you'd have everybody from the untouchables to the brahmin in the same circle and of course the brahmin would give them a lot of shit because they were the ones that created the caste system and and wanted to keep the elite elite and kind of you know play those kinds of games which still go on today unfortunately but he would have none of it and there was a lot of um competition amongst the elites to get as much knowledge from Kabir as possible so they could, you know, claim to be more evolved than other people and kind of a spiritual athletic, <laughs> like a spiritual Olympics or something, which Kabir had no interest in. In other words, competing that way. Kabir's real teaching was to bring spirituality into the world. He thought ascetic yoga and ascetic practices were a waste of time. He also thought celibacy was a waste of time. He was married. He was a weaver. He made a living by weaving. He taught that all spiritual training and development must be practical in the world or it's ineffective. It's just a bunch of mental masturbation. And he was an amazing poet, just amazing poet. Um, there's a line from one of his poems that I think is so potent and beautiful. He says, God is as a trumpet waiting patiently on the shelf for you to blow him. Now, for many people, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. But what he's saying is, just as a trumpet won't make music until you pick it up and, and play with it and blow into it, your spiritual life is really just a bunch of intellectual diatribe until you actually engage God on a deep spiritual level, a soul level, a heart level, and you let God breathe you and you breathe God instead of an intellectual relationship with God, which is what most religion is, just a bunch of memorization of stuff out of books and thinking that's spiritual. Now, Kabir unfortunately <laughs> got got the higher ups in india around his region quite irritated because he was breaking all the rules against the caste system and letting him hindus and muslims sit together and he didn't want to play any racial division at all he just basically said anyone that wants to be taught by me is welcome and that triggered off quite a lot of resent toward kabir 
So much, in fact, that a group of Brahmin elites got together and wanted to have him killed. So, in my study of Kabir, they tell the story of, of the Brahmin and how they tried to kill Kabir. And the first thing they did to try to kill him was as they got a warrior to take a war elephant. And they basically had spies following Kabir around. And so they knew his patterns of where he would go teach and, and stop to eat and things like that. So they found Kabir and they brought this war elephant and the soldier or elephant person uh, was commanded to have the elephant kill Kabir. So he commanded the elephant to attack Kabir and the elephant wouldn't move. And the story goes that the, the soldier about beat the elephant to death trying to get it to attack Kabir, but it, it would not move and hurt Kabir. And these are, remember, these are highly trained war elephants that are, you know, will kill people easily and do. And that's, if you study the history of India and war, you can learn that quite easily. So ultimately it failed. And, and that was a bit perplexing to the Brahmin because they'd never heard of such a thing before. So then they came up with another strategy. And on his way home, Kabir used to walk across one of the big rivers that had raging rapids and was, was a, you know, way too dangerous to swim in. And it had a very uh, a big bridge crossing it way up high in the air. So what they did was they captured him and they chained his arms and legs behind his back and tied him with chains so that he couldn't get out. And a few men threw him over the uh, arm rail on the bridge into the river below and they thought for sure that he, he was going to die because even if he had no chains on him most people would have died in these extreme rapids getting smashed into rocks and things but unfortunately for them as they were standing there watching they were waiting to see if they could see his body and about a quarter of a mile if i remember right down the river they saw kabir pop out of the river, got up, walk away, nothing wrong with him. So they had to go back and report to the Brahmin that somehow he'd escaped again. So this time they had to come up with a plan to really get rid of Kabir that was fail-safe. And so what they decided to do was go to the funeral grounds in, in India that cremate people, as many of you would know, on funeral pyres where they light huge fires and burn bodies. So... Again, knowing his movements, they tracked him and they lit this huge fire, got it raging hot. They captured him, took him and threw him in the fire. And remember, this is a huge bonfire, massive bonfire. And a few seconds later, Kabir walked out the other side. And what shocked them was not only that there wasn't any burns on him, but he was wearing white clothing and there wasn't even a single indication of soot or charcoal on his body. He was perfectly and pristine clean. When they went and reported that to the Brahmin, they decided that Kabir was a saint and they should just leave him alone. And so they did. And so that is the story of Kabir. And although these things sound fantastical, if you study the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, you'll see these types of things really do happen and did happen in India.
And having seen many documentaries and read many books on spiritual masters, these are not unusual things for the truly developed. And so um, Kabir really established himself as a legitimate saint. But the point I was making it, all you've got to do is read his poetry and it can split you open. It's right up there with Rumi, who we will get to here. And so, thank you, Kabir. You changed my life, and you showed me what practical spirituality is and, and how to get the BS out of spirituality and religion. The next person that changed my life is Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber is considered by many people today to be one of the best, if not the best, philosopher alive. I don't know how many of you know who Ken Wilber is, but the depth of his knowledge is right up there with a Carl Jung. I wouldn't put him on the same level as Rudolf Steiner for a number of reasons, but I would definitely um, credit him with the capacity to stand next to Carl Jung. The, the expanse of Ken Wilber's teachings is incredible. I have his collective works. I've been studying it for too many years to remember. Ken Wilber's been, a long, been around a long time. I mean, when I started studying him, he was a young, vital, fit, muscular man, and now he's an old man um, who's you know, changed a lot because he's getting up there in age. So am I. But some of the things that Ken Wilber brought to us, aside from a really deep explanation of many, many things in philosophy and life, was the four-quadrant model, which is part of my Czech four-quadrant coaching mastery program. And basically what the four-quadrant program uh, model does is it shows you the possible ways that spirit unfolds in our experience of reality. So if you take a circle or a square and divide it into four, so a square into four squares. The upper left quadrant is the personal interior. That's the domain of the soul or your inner world. The upper right is the uh, personal exterior. That's anything about you that can be weighed or measured, such as your body, hormone levels, your body weight, your strength, etc. The lower left side is the lower left quadrant. That's the collective interior or the mind or soul of a group. And the lower right is the collective exterior, which is the world stage. So he showed that really everything that goes on in our life is happening on an inner level personally, expressed through our thoughts, words, and deeds and actions, or deeds or actions, uh, that would be the upper right, and that the feelings and relationships we have within a group are essential to our growth and development, because none of us could be here without other people. And we have all these experiences together in the world, which is the stage, or any system or means of channeling energy would be the lower right quadrant, such as a computer system, a railroad, um, anything that moves energy. He also really helped me with his I-we-it approach to God. He's got a, a, a lot of great teachings on God, very profound He's also a very deeply evolved meditator. I've actually seen video footage of Ken Wilber with an electroencephalogram hooked to his head, and he could stop his brain so there was zero brainwave activity by just consciously doing it, which only the most advanced monks are capable of doing. 
So he has demonstrated his, his authentic spiritual practice and depth. He also really did a lot to help us understand the structure stages of consciousness, how consciousness grows and develops, not only in a single human being, but throughout history. He also really helped us understand what are called levels and lines of development. So he showed we could have different levels of development, such as you could be a very, very high-level martial artist, but you might not be a very good husband. Well, so that would be a different line of development. Your level of development along any line can be different. So you could be a very good meditator, but be very poor in math. Or you could be a very skilled pilot, but have almost no aptitude for art. So he showed through his concepts of levels and lines that there's a great variety amongst all of us and that um, we can do a lot to be aware of, of where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are so we can grow and develop. His depth and, gra- gra- um, his depth and grasp of world religion and philosophy is <laughs> unbelievable. His endless capacity to learn and grow and share deep wisdom and truth is highly laudable. Um, his creation of the integral movement is very important and desperately needed at this time. You can go to integrallife.com and become a member there, and it's loaded with incredible experts on many topics and people that I've interviewed, like Keith Witt, for example, who's an amazing integral psychologist. And he's also created many masters among us through his integral training programs. Um, for example, Dustin DePerna's books, one of my favorite books is Streams of Wisdom by Dustin DePerna, who is a longtime student of Ken Wilber. So Ken Wilber is extremely deep and very profound and very rational and very spiritual and very unique, and anybody on this planet can learn from Ken Wilber. So Ken Wilber, thank you. You changed my life. The next person that changed my life is Sri Aurobindo. I learned about Sri Aurobindo's teachings and books by studying Ken Wilber. Ken Wilber refers to Sri Aurobindo quite often in his uh, books and his teachings. Sri Aurobindo is a philosopher sage who is from India but was educated at Cambridge University and was really a deep man and he has a lot of excellent books, too many to list, but they're all phenomenal. And uh, one of the things that I really loved about Sri Aurobindo is his willingness to investigate things and get to the bottom of things. And he has a lot of very deep teachings on consciousness and the soul and all aspects of spirituality. He's quite an interesting character. He had a interesting life. He was put in jail for a while for for uh, kind of re- standing up for certain political views and things like that, but uh, he used the time to practice yoga and meditation and, and had enlightenment experiences in jail, as often happens to 
people with that orientation when they get put in jail. I've always said, if they ever put me in jail, I'll take advantage of the quiet time. Now, one of the things that Sri Aurobindo did was he looked into what are the real qualities of a spiritual master. He was very aware that there's a lot of charlatans, not only in India, but around the world. So he spent the time to investigate the real spiritual masters and figure out what it was that they were doing and what was common among them. And what Aurobindo found was there was four key qualities to a spiritual master. One, they all draw their power from unconditional love. They don't do the healing work or uh, you know, the things that they do on their own power. In other words, it's, it's not ego-driven. He found that they all create beyond the laws of physics. They all can turn negative situations into positives. And they create equanimity and harmony wherever they go. I bring this up not only to share Sri Aurobindo's work and a little sample of it, but to point out that we all have these abilities in us. Every one of us can draw our power from unconditional love. In fact, the entire universe, all existence, emanates from unconditional love, which I go into quite deeply in my new book that I'm writing right now. We all create beyond the laws of physics. Anything that you create in your mind is beyond the laws of physics. The mind is not bound by the laws of physics. You can jump as high as you want in your mind. You can jump to the sun. You can make love to as many people as you want to in your mind. You can design the house of your dreams in your mind and then bring it into the physical realm and embody it. We can all turn a negative into a positive, which is really a lot about what spirituality is, is being clear on what your dream is and what is best for everybody involved and finding the common needs between people and then turning a negative situation into a positive. For example, right now with the whole pandemic, there's a lot of ways we can turn this negative into a positive, and it would be a very long list, but we can all do it, or we stay trapped in our programming and we have no freedom, and we get depressed and end up doing things that are not healthy for us or the people around us, and we can all create equanimity and harmony wherever we go if we choose to. The first thing you got to do is just create it within yourself, and then you're guaranteed to carry it wherever you go. So. Sri Aurobindo changed my life in many ways, but he gave me a reminder of what my ultimate practice is for myself each each day, and that is to draw my abilities and get support from unconditional love, to use my mind effectively and create beyond the laws of physics, to practice being aware that I have the ability to turn a negative situation into a positive one, And to remember that if I want equanimity and harmony, it's my job to carry it with me wherever I go. So thank you, Sri Aurobindo. You changed my life. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to announce that one of my favorite companies in the world, Bioptimizers, has a brand new amazing product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. And boy, is that needed. Wade, I wanted you to come on and tell us how your new product works. Well, basically, we've combined a wide variety of products that help manage blood sugar and help dispose glucose 
into your muscle tissues as opposed into your fat tissues. And basically, by improving your insulin sensitivity and depositing sugar in a way that enhances your health, you will be able to have better workouts, better lean body mass gains, get leaner more easy, and have that more steady blood sugar rate without the rises and dips, which is associated with you know blood sugar, poor management. That's excellent. What's the discount for Living 4D listeners and where do they get it? Well, if you go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health slash living4d and put in Paul 10, you'll get a 10% discount. And if it doesn't impress you better than any other blood sugar product you've ever tried, you get 100% of your money back. Hey, that's a no risk purchase for an amazing product. And believe me, my track record with Bioptimizer's products is 100% satisfaction. Never had anybody complain to me, and I highly doubt you will but I'd love to hear your feedback. Thank you, Wade. I'm excited about the new product. Next is Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman probably is the second most famous scientist next to Einstein. I've studied three biographies of Richard Feynman because I found him fascinating. I've watched university courses that were recorded. I've read a number of books uh, by Feynman. I've read many books of quantum physicists and physicists around Feynman's teachings. And Richard Feynman changed my life because he helped me have more confidence in my problem-solving abilities. And he developed quantum electrodynamics and showed many fascinating things. For example, he showed that when they looked at the double slit experiments where photons can appear as waves or particles and they couldn't figure out how in the world this would happen and why if a scientist was looking for waves they got waves or particles they got particles and how it was that a photon made a decision but Feynman showed through his investigations and mathematical analysis that essentially a photon tries every single possibility at the speed of infinity and chooses the path of least resistance, or you could say the path that is being facilitated by the mind of the investigator. Feynman also was a joy to me because he liked to draw things and taught from diagrams, and I find that a more natural, effective way to teach. I also love Feynman because he uh, love the women, and he was you know, famous for <clears throat> getting in trouble with the ladies. And I don't mean like trouble, trouble, but as a university professor, it was well known that Feynman used to make love to beautiful women and students. And he managed to get away with it. I think it was because he was so famous and, and such an amazing teacher, they couldn't afford to lose him because he was like a huge drawing card for any university that had him in his presence, but I love that part of him because he lived true to himself. I also love Feynman because he loved music. He played the bongo drums and he traveled around the world playing drums places like Brazil. He also lived a challenging life. His He eventually got married and his wife died of cancer, so the story of him working through that and having read letters he wrote to her and just this, the whole story was very deeply touching to me. He was a very practical man. I love that about Richard Feynman. He 
even though he was one of the greatest theorists there is, he really believed if you couldn't apply it practically, it was a waste of time. So Richard Feynman, to me, is a beautiful lesson in how to use our mind effectively and how to tackle big problems. And he was a genius with everything mechanical, computers, uh, you name it. He worked on the Manhattan Project. He was, uh, you know, involved in secret projects with the government because he was definitely among the very best physicists that have ever walked this planet. So Richard Feynman changed my life because he really, in many ways, gave me permission to be myself. And he also um, showed me that my own way of processing information and learning was was very effective when I measured it against the methods he used because I could see that his process for solving problems was very much what was natural in me. And whenever you get confirmation from somebody with that level of accomplishment, it always feels good. So thank you, Richard Feynman, for changing my life. Next is John Wheeler. John Wheeler was Richard, Richard, one of Richard Feynman's key teachers as a physicist, and John Wheeler has a long, long list of accomplishments behind his name, probably second only to Feynman himself. But John Wheeler was a professor of physics. He also worked on lots of government secret projects, such as atomic uh, development and nuclear physics and things like that. But John Wheeler was also a very out-of-the-box thinker. He was probably one of the most out-of-the-box thinkers of all quantum physicists. And one of the things I loved about Wheeler is he really showed through his physics and his mathematics that the universe is sentient, it's conscious, it's a unity, and that all living beings, regardless of what type or where, are actually in a real-time feedback loop with the universe. In other words, he showed that we are the universe looking at itself, and that the universe would not have any meaning without sentient beings such as human beings. And one of my fam favorite diagrams is a diagram that Wheeler created, which is a capital U, and there's an I on each side, and one side represents the universe, and the other side represents us, and we're looking at and experiencing each other, and the, they're connected by the you. So even though we seem separate from the universe, he showed that there's a real-time flow of information from the universe into us and us back into the universe. And then that feedback loop causes changes in the environment. And so he really showed that the universe is alive, a living, breathing, thinking, feeling, being, and that we're all like cells, living cells in the universe. He and Feynman came up with many interesting ideas. For example, when you consider that a photon moves very fast, and, and then looking at electrons, photons, of course, move at the speed of light, but one of the proposals, and I can't remember, I think it was Wheeler that came up with it, maybe Feynman, but the two of them worked together a lot. But based on the speed that electrons move, one of the proposals that they had was 
if an electron can move infinitely fast, that there may only be one electron in the entire universe creating everything. And, and a concept like that seems a bit wonky almost, but if you study infinity, and I've read many books on infinity because it's, it's a real important concept, you will find that if something could move infinitely fast, that it could actually truly be one electron creating everything, but moving so fast that it's able to jump from object to object, being to being, at the speed of now. And it could possibly do that. So for me, John Wheeler really facilitated my capacity for deep dreaming and for contemplation and for being present with an idea and not throwing it out just because it seems odd. He was very comfortable with being out of the consensus norm. As a scientist and a physicist, his ideas uh, were quite shocking. In fact, he is the one that term coined the term black hole and many other things. And I've read many books uh, with a lot of John Wheeler's work. I've listened to autobiographies of John Wheeler on audiobook. And he is an example of true creativity within the limitations of the scientific establishment. So he's sort of living evidence that you can actually live with one foot in each world at the same time. Anything you read that John Wheeler wrote will be fascinating. And I'm sure if you're interested, you can just search John Archibald Wheeler and, and you will find him. So thank you, John Wheeler. You changed my life. The next person that changed my life is a very interesting man named Arnold Mendel. That's M-I-N-D-E-L-L. Arnold Mendel is undoubtedly one of the most well-rounded, intelligent, diverse human beings whose work I've had the privilege of studying. He graduated from MIT with a deep understanding of math and quantum physics. He's a graduate of the Jung Institute in Zurich, a shaman, and the founder of process psychology. Mendel gave me the language and imagery to convert my own mystical spiritual and spiritual experiences into language that allowed me to teach others what I'd learned from spirit and soul. His vast mastery of number, fields, gestalts, concepts, mathematics, the ability to integrate all these concepts into a coherent whole is right up there with people like Joseph Campbell, Jung, Arthur M. Young, and the great minds that have changed my life. The books of his that I have studied, and I do mean studied, not read, include Quantum Mind, The Edge Between Physics and Psychology. Now that is a big book, and it is thorough, and it is deep, and it, thank God he illustrates his books well. I carried that book on the road all over the place. <laughs> that book's probably been around the world twice in my briefcase, and it's got a pile of tags and notes all through it, and it's a real gem, boy. I'll tell you what, if you want to understand the the edge between physics and psychology, it's it's the masterpiece. 
His next book I've studied is Process Mind, A User's Guide to Connecting with the Mind of God, which is also very good. Another book I've read of his is The Shaman's Body, A New Shamanism for Transforming Health Relationships and the Community. He is also a person that does a lot of work with uh, big groups or even, uh, you know, cultures having problems. For example, going to the Middle East and helping them solve problems like Israeli-Palestinian disputes and things like that. And his system of process psychology includes many great uh, therapists and communicators as well. He's written many more books, and I'm progressively working my way through them as time allows, but any book by Arnold Mandel is money well invested. I can't recommend Arnold Mandel's teachings enough. You, you could probably find some great videos of him on YouTube. He's a very, very interesting, well-developed man who I have deep, deep respect for, and his books are a treasure to me. The next man that changed my life is Wei Wu Wei, which is a pen name. I don't really know who Wei Wu Wei is. There is a picture of him on the back of one or two of his books, but he doesn't really divulge his actual name, which really doesn't matter to me. Um, he's really a master of Zen Buddhism, Taoism, Vedanta, Advaita, and he is very much a non-dualist and a masterful writer. Whenever we search for something we have not lost, we always necessary, necessarily separate it from ourselves, is a comment. So here's a, you know, a, to repeat that again, Wei Wu Wei says, whenever we search for something we have not lost, we always necessarily separate ourselves from it. So he's talking about the Tao or God, the God with no name, as, it, as, it, as I would state it. His writings are quite Zen. Um, often like parables. But what I loved about Wei Wu Wei is that he he has a sense of humor, but he also takes you deep into the mind of a of a really evolved Zen Buddhist, Taoist, or like a Hindu sage. He's got a number of books. I've read several of them. Some of the books, if you're interested, are Why Lazarus Laughed, which I found very good, Unworldly Wise, Fingers Pointing Toward the Moon, Open Secret, and Posthumous Pieces. So if you're ready for a deep dive into non-dual philosophy and um, <laughs> to have your head split open... Give Wei Wu Wei a read. Thank you, Wei Wu Wei. You inspired me in many ways. Thank you. You've changed my life. Next is another profound human being. He's a Sufi master, Hazrat Inyat Khan. The, the depth and breadth of his development as a human being is stunning. It is, you know, right up there with someone like Rudolf Steiner or Carl Jung. Uh, or many of the people I'm sharing here, but just profound. His depth of understanding of God and the process of the universe, creations, sound, life, and how to live a truly spiritual life is incredible. He has an entire series of books, which I've had for a very long time, and 
have read several of them but refer to it. The final book in the series is an index of all the all of his books, which is very, very helpful. Nothing drives me nuttier than a book without an index. It just makes me want to say, what in the hell went through your head? You went to all the work to write a book and didn't put an index in it. It makes the book very less functional. So he's a very unique man. He has almost anything you can think of is in that series. I believe it's 14 books from beautiful teachings on the soul to parenting to living well, to almost anything you can think of. And the Sufi view of the world is truly wholesome and holistic. It always boggles my mind, the gap between the orthodox branches of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and the mystics. It's almost as though they're coming from a completely separate world. In fact, when you start reading the Sufi masters, it's a wonder that they don't get murdered by the the kind of you know, what do you call them, indoctrinated people of Islam, just like many of the saints have and sages have and, you know, many great people. For example, uh, one of the Hindu, uh, not Hindu mystics, but Middle Eastern mystics that was really very similar to a Sufi master is Shirawardi, whose teachings on light are incredible, but he ultimately got killed for, for sharing what he shared, and many others have. So when you come across someone like Hazrat Inyat Khan or Rumi, it's a miracle that they didn't get taken out. But the gifts that they left us were just mind-boggling. So if you're interested in Sufi philosophy and Sufi teachings, you can't do better than a Hazrat Inyat Khan book. And uh, like I said, his whole series is excellent. Thank you, Hazrat Inyat Khan. You've changed my life. The next person that changed my life, who is someone that I love deeply and pray to and thank and blow smoke to every day, is Houston Smith. Houston Smith is well known to be the world's leading expert on world religion. He died a couple of years ago, but lived a long life, and anybody that's ever studied world religion at all knows who Houston Smith is. His teachings on world religion are par excellence. They're, there's nothing better out there. And what makes Houston Smith very unique is he's the only man, I think, known in the world to have spent five years devoted to each of the world's five major world religions. So he completely went, lived there, lived in China, lived and practiced Judaism. He went to each of these countries and cultures and lived there and devoted five years of his life to practicing those religions, to truly understand them, study the roots of them, know the people, know the culture. And he was just the most incredible uh, wealth of knowledge. He was also a friend of Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, and that team, and explored psychedelics with them. He wrote a landmark paper that's still one of the most published papers, I believe, in the Journal of Philosophy. Um, it's been a long time. The paper was published in the 60s, if I remember right but it's called Do Drugs Have Religious Import? And um, 
it was a very important paper for me because when I began doing my own research on plant medicines, I got a huge backlash from people all around me. Uh, long story, but um, <laughs> many people's fear got in the way of their rationality and made my life quite miserable for several years. So I did a lot of research to find any science I could find to back what I was experiencing and share it with people. But in his paper, Do Drugs Have Religious Import? He did something phenomenal. And I'm going to make this quick because I still have a lot of people to share. But because he too got a lot of backlash and he was a professor, so you can imagine the intensity of that, especially you know at different times and in, in different stages of his life, that was uh, sometimes okay, sometimes not okay. But he... Uh, being somebody that knew bishops and higher-ups and not only Christianity, but religions of all types, also knew that there was tremendous resistance to the use of psychedelic medicines and that it was very well believed and <laughs> fervently stamped everywhere that you could not have a religious or spiritual experience or a religious experience using what were referred to as drugs. So Houston Smith, being the genius that he is, and knowing people like Stanislav Grof and, and many others that were researchers in this field back before there was a big war on drugs, and he went to each of these researchers and asked if he could get people from the research groups that they were working with to write down what their mystical or spiritual experiences were on various plant medicines or drugs like LSD or psilocybin or mescaline or mushrooms. And then he went to the higher-ups in churches and got them to go into their congregation and have people in their congregation write down the experience they were having when they were having what they would call a religious experience or you know contact with God. And then brilliantly, what he did is he took the names off all of them, had them all typed up and coded, so only he and his researchers knew which one was a report from a religious person that didn't use drugs and which one was from a person in the psychedelic users groups. And then he brought them to the church higher-ups, the bishops, the pastors, the preachers that were all very anti-drug, and he handed them this big pile of, of descriptions of their experiences. And he said, this is a mix of the people that you have given me and the people that I have found through researchers doing ex uh, exploration and scientific studies on psychedelic drugs. Since you say there's no way you can have a religious experience on these drugs, then I challenge you to separate out from the group which ones were drug users and which ones were non-drug users having religious experiences in churches, temples, and synagogues, and none of them could do it. Not a chance, because the experiences were almost identical in every case. There was correlate experiences that were had by both groups, and you could not possibly distinguish a religious experience induced by chanting, prayer, dance, 
or any other natural means from those induced by psychedelics. So he really made a very, very clear point that pretty much uh, was the coffin for that argument. And he also wrote an amazing book called Cleansing the Doors of Perception, the Religious Significance of Ethnogenic Plants. One of my favorite of many of Houston books, uh, Smith's books that I've read, read is, and studied is called The Forgotten Truth, The Common Vision of the World's Religions, which is very much like Aldous Huxley's perennial philosophy, but different enough that if you read the two books, you would still get a hell of a lot out of both of them. There's by no means are they like copies of each other. They're, they're deep truths. The, the forgotten truth goes into a lot of the religious tra traditions and the ancient teachings and the symbols and their meanings and things like what soul is and what spirit is. So just an absolutely amazing book. I, I remember reading The Forgotten Truth and just having so many moments of feeling just deep gratitude and, and confirmation from my own spiritual experiences. And Houston Smith also uh, outlined the four levels of scriptural interpretation. And I won't go into that now because I have so much to share with you. I don't want the podcast to be too long but if you study the life of Houston Smith, it's really amazing. And I also have him on my altar and I blow smoke to him and, and thank him for his love every day of my life because of how deeply he touched my soul. The next person that changed my life is Rumi. I've studied many great poets, particularly mystic poets, and there's no one deeper, more diverse, and even more radical than Rumi. His real name is Jalaluddin El Jalalu El Ladin Rumi. It's hard for me to pronounce it because it's a word I'm not a Muslim name I'm not used to pronouncing. It's J A L A L U space capital L dash D I N. So Jalaluddin Rumi. He's considered the greatest mystical poet of Persia. He was born in Khorasan, the northwest province of Greater Iran, in 1207. When he was 12 years old, his family had to flee before the advancing Mongol hordes, and he settled in Anatolia, Turkey, with his family. After his marriage and the death of his, of his father, who was a highly regarded uh, theologian, teacher, and preacher, Rumi went through his own enlightenment experience, which blew his heart wide open, and he spent the rest of his life until he died in 1273 in an outpouring of mystical poetry. Rumi was often followed by scribes who tried to capture Rumi's mystical wisdom, which some experts say equates to as many as 25,000 mystical odes and the Mathwani, uh, which is a massive collection of 25,000 poems is, is what came out of that. I have that collection in my library. I probably have one of the best collections of Rumi poetry out there. And I've studied him for 25 years or more. And um, his teachings are profound. Now, his poetry is very deep. It's not something the average Westerner could really grapple with very well. There are books 
largely written by Coleman Barks that take some of his more complex poetry and make it more understandable to the average person. But what I did is I searched for scholars that were not only people that spoke um, his language, which is Farsi, but were also people that had uh, practiced Sufism or who were deep enough spiritually and skilled enough in language and poetry to break it down. So I have several very scholarly, <laughs> very expensive books in my library that are often, for example, show the, po the poetry written in his language, Farsi, then they break it down line by line, and then they show you, for example, what one word could be translated as in multiple ways, so it lets you see what Rumi wrote, but also then knowing that there could be one, two, three, or four different translations, depending on how you interpret it, it allows you to read Rumi's poetry and make up your own mind as to what he was saying. So I've spent countless hours studying Rumi's poetry. In fact, in many shamanic journeys with plant medicines, I would take my favorite book at the time, whatever I was reading, and I would hold it over my heart as I was in ceremony and just let my heart and the energy of my own energy field envelop the book. And you can, I don't, you know, some of you may not be aware of this, but you can feel the vibration coming off a book. I can just touch a book and tell you from my own perspective how authentic it is or how accurate it is. And Rumi's books all have a very strong, coherent energy field on them. Rumi's poetry is heart-opening and mind-blowing. It's profound wisdom, it's deep, it's poetic genius, and it has sometimes a level of clarity that literally is like a sword cutting through an apple. You may be familiar with one of Rumi's lines. There's a lot of quotes from Rumi all over the world. Some of them have been bastardized by people, but meaning chopped up and, and they put Rumi's name on it. But one of them is so beautiful. It's very simple, just to give you a sample. Rumi says, You are not a drop of the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And that is the kind of things that come from Rumi. Rumi's poetry has the ability to take you into many worlds and, and literally mystical experiences. I've had experience of just reading Rumi's poetry, and it was like someone just gave me a hit of DMT, and I was just blown into a total union experience. One of my favorite books is The Drowned Book. The Ecstatic and Earthly Reflections of Bahudin, the Father of Rumi, by Coleman Barks and John Moyne. This book is a basically chronicles Rumi's childhood and who his father was. And the Drowned Book is a book that was written by hand by his father. His father wrote one copy for each of his boys. And so the story of the Drowned Book is, or in the Drowned Book, is really all about who Rumi's father was and how he was raised and educated. And it's really a very special book. And when you read about Rumi's father and how he was raised, you will see that his father was an incredible human being with diverse knowledge from farming to 
God to education. I mean, the, the guy was very diverse. Remember, this is, you know, in the 1200s. So when you read this and you think, man, if this guy was alive today, I'd want to study with him for sure. You know, you're, you can see how the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. A book that is very readable for those of you that want to experience Rumi is called A Year with Rumi, Daily Readings by Coleman Barks. So for each day of the year, there's a Rumi poem. And that, that um, book is, is what I would call a more digestible Rumi for the beginner. Now, <laughs> one of my most, probably my all-time favorite Rumi poetry book is called The Forbidden Rumi, the Suppressed Poems of Rumi on Love, Heresy, and Intoxication by Nevitt O. Ergen and Will Johnson. And they had to go, these authors had to go to the Persian government and do a lot of negotiating and pleading because that book was locked up. They did not want anybody to see that poetry because it really tells Rumi's views on love on orthodox religion, on intoxication, and it's it's not a big book, but it's very very juicy, and it you know it's it's fun. I don't want to spill the beans for you, but when you read that, you know Rumi was fully alive, and again, it is a miracle that he did not get killed for the things that he said in his teachings, and the you know the radical difference between classic Islamic faith. And Rumi's teachings is, is, is a divide so big, it's hard to even imagine that he came from the same region. Rumi, you changed my life, and I love you, and I have a beautiful painting on my wall that was done by a Rudolf Steiner-style uh, painter who studies Rudolf Steiner and was given to me by our CEO, Gavin Jennings, as a gift and I blow smoke to Rumi and thank him every day. And uh, I have some profound mystical experiences with Rumi that I won't take up time to tell, but it makes some great campfire stories, I'll tell you that. The next person that changed my life was a holistic nurse named Margaret A. Newman. She's not very well known about, but I do a lot of studying, a lot of researching, and a lot of digging because I like to follow the thread. Whenever I find a, uh, an idea or a concept that I think is very good, I always want to know where did it come from? How did they develop the idea? So I follow their references. I research other people writing about them, and then I always dig into it. So over the years, I came across the work of Margaret A. Newman, and I was just blown away. She was a pioneering nurse that did her very best to make hospitals a place of healing and not just a corporate illness mill. Unfortunately, she got pretty much just ignored with all of her attempts to really make hospitals healing places. She's the author of a very excellent book titled Health as Expanding Consciousness. Her, her book begins with a poem by Richard Moss that beautifully encapsulates her teachings in the whole book. And it says this, Life has to be in the moment, spontaneous and vulnerable. There isn't any winning or losing. Life itself is the reward, and it isn't always easy or fun. The issue of happiness is irrelevant. 
the relevant quest is the expansion of consciousness. Her understanding of consciousness and the human life was truly incredible. She had a deep study of, and she was also a big proponent of Itzhak Bentov's teachings. And so right away I knew she was the real deal, because anyone that studies Itzhak Bentov has, has got their head screwed on straight. Her concepts of illness and disease opened me deeply to what illness and disease offer from a spiritual perspective. So she really helped me see that a person could be diseased or sick and still be healthy. What she showed better than anybody is that a lot of diseases happen not because we're eating incorrectly or living incorrectly or harboring anger or any of the things classically attributed to as causes of disease, but she showed that a lot of diseases are spiritual growth opportunities and that, for example, a child may take on cancer that ultimately leads to its death as a sacrifice to teach its family how to love and to teach it how to focus on what's really meaningful in life. So she showed really that all illnesses and diseases are great spiritual growth opportunities and if handled that way are much more likely to be resolved and and bring about healing as opposed to the concept of having to fight cancer or fight the disease which only energizes it with negative energy. So I really think that Margaret Newman gave me a much more mature um, perspective of illness and disease, and I'm very, very grateful for that. She helped me be more empathetic and compassionate, and also to really look for the spiritual opportunity when illnesses, diseases, and life challenges come. And her work has helped me become a much more mature, well-grounded, open-minded, loving therapist. And so, thank you, Margaret Newman. You changed my life. The next person that changed my life has been around for a long time, and that's Fred Allen Wolf. He's probably, I would guess, in his 80s, 80-something by now. He's got a lot of books, and, and I've studied many of his books, audios, videos, documentaries. You know, most of you would be familiar with the movie What the Bleep. He was featured in that one and the second one. Probably his most profound book of the ones I've studied, which is probably six or eight of them, is a book titled The Spiritual Universe, One Physicist's Vision of Spirit, Soul, Matter, and Self, and it's absolutely excellent. It's a must-read for anybody serious about understanding the deep nature of what spirituality is and provides one of the most comprehensive explanations in print of issues such as soul, consciousness, matter, and spirit. Fred Allen Wolf's a theoretical physicist, but he's also a shaman, and he is very much a mystic, and he has a grasp of many cultures and languages and fields of study, and he's got a great sense of humor, and he is just the real deal. I'm telling you, as as a, you know, as a white American physicist, he will blow your socks right off. The spiritual universe just so you know, is not light reading. It's, it's you know, I spent a lot of time. I probably put 
several months into the study of that book and have piles of notes from it and still refer to it to this very day. In fact, it's sitting on my desk right now because I'm referencing sections of it in my new book. But if you search Fred Allen Wolf, there's loads of stuff from him, great audio programs, um, plenty of video stuff on YouTube. He'll he'll definitely open doors for you. So thank you, Fred Allen Wolf. You've changed my life. The next person that changed my life is Coleman Barks. Coleman Barks is the primary Western translator of Rumi's poetry, but he's an incredibly deep man. And recently, Tammy Simon at Sounds True on her podcast um, interviewed, she shared a prior interview that she said was one of her, her all-time favorite interviews, and it was absolutely heart-touching. It's just so good. And um, if you search for Tammy Simon's podcast, it sounds true, and look for her podcast a few months back where she shared that podcast again with Coleman Barks, it's worth every minute of it. And in there, he creates poetry, and she plays some of his poetry with other musicians and poets, and it's just very powerful, and you get the depth of it. But the reason I wanted to share him with you, aside from the fact that his books and his translation of Rumi's poetries are excellent, is that years ago, probably around 2005 or six, I was deep into my study of Rumi's poetry, had been for several years at that point. But Rumi is so deep, especially when you get into the Mathwane uh where the poems are not, you know, Americanized. They're just straight out of Rumi's mouth. I needed to find somebody that was a master of Sufism and Rumi's poetry, and I wanted to either pay them as a consultant or study with them because I really felt that to, to really import Rumi's genius and, and love and wisdom into myself and use it in my daily life, I needed a guide. So I began searching, and I couldn't find anybody anywhere. And I talked to the author of the Mothwani, the person that put the series together, which is the same man um, that uh, wrote the book, The Forbidden Rumi. Uh, and he said he didn't do that with people. He was strictly a writer and, and, and a translator. But I gave Coleman Barks a call, I think I called him, or I, no, I emailed him. I think I've, I talked to him on the phone at one point. I can't remember. It's been so many years. But in my conversation, he just happened to say to me, Paul, what do you do for exercise? And I said, well, I actually own a holistic health institute, and I teach weightlifting all over the world, and I'm a consultant to many professional sports teams. And he said to me, I lift rocks. I make things out of stone. And he said, it keeps me in good shape. He says, I've been doing it for a very long time and I love it. And I immediately flash back to my childhood in the fields, picking rocks out of the fields so that our plows didn't get damaged. And we had a ton of rocks on our farm in Vancouver Island. In fact, some of our fields, we pulled so many rocks out, there was a pile of rocks surrounding the field four or five feet high, literally like a pyramid mountain that went around a 10-acre field full of rocks. And I used to, as a kid, hate having to pick rocks out of the field because it'd be pissing rain and cold. And 
You're just covered in mud and wet and nasty. But when Coleman Barks said that, something happened inside of me. And I thought, I've got to start lifting rocks. I've got to start working with stones again. So I went out to the local uh, you know, garden and landscaping supply down the road from me called KRC Rock when I lived in Vista, which has acres and acres of stones of all sizes and types. And I spent a few thousand dollars on rocks and put them in my front yard which I, we had three quarters of an acre, so I had a nice big front yard and space to do that. And then I just began letting my soul guide me and used my rock stacking and creating mandalas and patterns and working with stones as, as a spiritual practice. And it just gave me the most incredible athletic experience and a deep spiritual experience. And one kind of like, Zen Buddhism, where if you start falling asleep, the master will whack you with his bow or his stick. Because if you aren't paying attention with rocks, you can get badly hurt. And I have <laughs> left a lot of blood in the rock garden from just, you know, being in a rush, trying to force things, my ego. And so the stones really, really help grow me. And still do to this day, and, and most of you might know that I've taught stone lifting workshops for years now, and people just love it. And I teach how to use stone lifting in combination with connecting to the soul, and I call that workshop Rock and Soul, and we just had one here recently with over 60 people. I think we had 60 plus. And again, they all loved it, and they all have very powerful transformation experiences so Coleman Barks is a very developed human being and a very beautiful soul with an incredible voice. And it just sounds like God talking to you. And through my communications with him, I found he was really just a lovely human being in person as well. And so thanks to Coleman Barks, I reconnected with the stone Buddhas and it changed my life. So thank you, Coleman Barks. You've changed my life. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Sherveen Jaffariah, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotica is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilajay Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. Their biocharge-activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis Liposomal Glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica.
The next person that changed my life is Joseph Rael, a Pueblo holy man. His name is spelt, his last name is R-A-E-L. His depth of spiritual development is mind-blowing. His father was a highly skilled shaman, and there's a a five-DVD set you can get from Amazon if you search Amazon Video and search Joseph Rael. It's not cheap. It's about 105 or 110 bucks. At least it was when I bought it about 10 years ago. And uh, it's really amazing. And he talks in the video about an experience when he was young with his father, teaching him, you know, principles and how energy worked and, and what shamanism is. But he describes how they were sitting in the living room of their home cabin uh their pueblo so i'm not sure what it was made of but he said to his father said to him you stay here i will be back and his father literally walked through the wall and then a little while later while they were sitting there waiting he came back and he had a handful of flowers and herbs that he'd gone and picked and his father handed the flowers and herbs to his children and let them taste them so he could see that he, they could realize that he wasn't tricking them. And so some of these things sound very, you know, impossible. But when you start getting around people like I've been mentioning, you find out that the impossible is really just for people with limited minds. But this guy, his, you can tell from reading his books and, and watching his DVDs that he is very, very well developed. He was a Sundancer, and he did the Sundance, God, what was it, at least four times. Now, if you want to put that in perspective, the Sundance is a four-day dance ceremony with no food and no water, and at the end, they usually do a process where they put hooks into their chest or some kind of cutting ritual, and then they have to fall backwards and let the hooks rip out of their chest and it's pretty damn intense but joseph rael did that four times and so he also talks about how in order to reach the level of spiritual development to be a sun dancer he said most of them get to the point where they don't have to eat food or even drink water anymore they can draw enough energy from their breath and from the cosmos and I've come across others, sun dancers, that also have confirmed this. And so, right there, you already know this man is very, very well developed. He had a deep understanding and mastery of the principles of sound and vibration. And he has built sound chambers all over the world for chanting, toning, and healing. And he's an incredible artist. He has amazing books that are done with his art. And he shows how to determine the root meaning of your name and shows what each letter in the alphabet means from a Pueblo perspective. So it's very cool. In some of his books, you can figure out what your name means because he shows you what each letter in the alphabet means. And he's got deep and profound teachings on sound and the origin of the cosmos and many things. And, and it all is very in line with quantum physics. So here you see again a, a mystic holy man who doesn't need uh, the Hadron Collider to tell you what's going on. And for me, that means you're dealing with the real deal. So if you want to really learn from a 
true holy man, study Joseph Rael's books. They're mind-blowing and beautiful. The next person that I have on the list that changed my life is somebody who I've I've studied not as extensively as others, but I put him on the list because his teachings were so beautiful, and he's a Christian saint. They they wanted to kill him, and they chased him for quite a while, from what I understand from my studies of him, which doesn't surprise me at all. But I love the Christian mystics because it shows you that Christianity at its core is very beautiful. It's just when it gets taken over by politicians and people that have money as their object, like the Vatican. Once you give the religion to the Vatican, that's it. It's over. It's now uh, really a cartel. And uh, unfortunately, I've looked into it. The deeper you look into the Vatican, the more your stomach gets sick. Um, I won't go into that because that's a whole other story. But just to give you an example of St. Bernard's philosophy and how deep and beautiful he was. Here is a quote from him. For my part, I think the chief reason which prompted the invisible God to become visible in the flesh was to, call, was to hold converse with men and to lead carnal men who are only able to love carnally to the healthful love of his flesh and afterwards little by little to spiritual love. That is so profound and so true, so beautiful. I'll read it again. For my part, I think the chief reason which prompted the invisible God to become visible in the flesh and to hold converse with men was to lead carnal men who are only able to love carnally to healthful love of his flesh and afterwards, little by little, to spiritual love. So really what he's describing is the evolution of the human being from being driven by biological urges and being an animal and then being turned against himself by Christianity and being made a sinner and the body being vile to loving his flesh, which would go directly against the Orthodox Christian teachings, and then afterwards, little by little, to spiritual love. That's it. That's what's going on. And that is real Christianity. And when I read the Christian saints, I just love knowing that there is <laughs> there's somebody out there trying to support uh, Jesus because poor Jesus must be rolling in his friggin' grave with all the shit being done in his name everywhere. And the worst people doing it are the ones that claim his as their savior for the most part. So don't get me wrong. I am a deep lover of real Christianity, but I have a deep concern about corporate Christianity because it's dangerous, period. The amount of people I've had to rehab from diseases that I track right back to their fear of God and their fear of all their sins and all that is just enough to wound a person just being the therapist. I've had to breathe my way through the pain and discomfort of watching how embroiled and entangled people get in not only Christianity, but a lot of religious systems and belief systems and all sorts of stuff. It's just really amazing what God's willing to go through to experience itself. The next person, well, before I move on, thank you, St. Bernard, you changed my life. The next person that changed my life is another 
beautiful Christian mystic, St. Hildegard of Bingen. She was an 11th century Christian mystic. She was powerful. There's at least three good documentaries on her life on Amazon Movies, if you want to learn about her. She wrote several great books. I've studied all of her books. One of her books is on diet and healing. And I'll tell you what, if she wrote that book today, it would be excellent. She really was deeply mystic, a deep mystic. She was probably clairvoyant. She could look into and feel the vibration of things and knew exactly what any food or herb or plant would do to help people heal. She produced her own music, which is very beautiful. I've got several CDs of her music composed by composers uh, that are using her music. She was an amazing artist. She was a true mystic. And she is credited as being the first woman's liber. She really took on the church fathers, and they learned quickly not to mess with her. They did not like a woman being that developed, and boy, did they stir shit up for her. But she wasn't going to have any of it, so she simply left. She started her own church and her own order for nuns and developed her own teachings and practices to a very high degree. And her system of healing is still used by physicians practicing natural medicine in Europe to this very day. And I've actually seen documentaries uh, all about this uh, St. Hildegard system of healing. And it's very good. So uh, enjoy looking into St. Hildegard. Her books are amazing. And she, too, is a reminder of what real Christianity is. And it very nature-based. None of this... None of this, uh, I won't even get into it, but trust me, when you see what Christianity has done as a belief system to this planet and to people and to women, it's painful to look at. And she really showed us what real Christianity is. And thank God for St. Hildegard. And thank God for St. Hildegard because she's a great inspiration to women. And we need women back in their power. We need women in equal footing with men before men completely and utterly destroy this planet. So I'm a lover of women and I'm a lover of St. Hildegard of Bingen. Thank you, St. Hildegard. You changed my life. Next is another one of the most amazing people I've studied, Arthur M. Young. He is a highly accomplished inventor, thinker, and a man of deep spirituality. Arthur M. Young is the inventor of the Bell Helicopter. He took the money he made from inventing the Bell Helicopter and started an institute for study of consciousness and devoted his life to the study of consciousness. He's got several books. I've read them all. The big kind of juicy main body is called The Reflexive Universe, in which he shows his model of the structure stages of consciousness. And there's several models out there, but I found Arthur Young's teachings on consciousness to be excellent and very beautiful. His book, The Geometry of Meaning, is quite profound. It's very deep, not an easy read. Um, fortunately for me, I have a background in mechanics and drafting. And so he explains a lot of spiritual principles based on geometry and, and mechanics and the kinds of things you would expect from a guy that invented the Bell helicopter, but it's very deep and very good. 
His capacity to convert metaphysical principles into correlates within the concepts of classical mechanics is amazing. His ability to explain nature, processes, and the function of the mind is also amazing. There's some fantastic interviews with him on thinking aloud, and that is available on Gaia TV with Jeffrey Mishlove, or you might find them on the new Thinking Aloud with Jeffrey Mishlove on YouTube. But if you go to Gaia TV and you search Thinking Aloud and then search for interviews with Arthur Young, he was quite an old man when these interviews happened, but boy, is he still sharp. I mean, this guy is deep as, and his books are phenomenal, and he was just one really grounded genius of a man and just it's such a joy to know that we have that kind of wisdom in our own culture but it's seldom ever known about we get so much airtime for people that really belong in you know kindergarten or psychological reform and we give hardly any airtime to the geniuses of our culture and i i pray every day we can turn that around before it's too late so thank you, Arthur M. Young. You know I love you, and you know I blow smoke to you every day and tell you how grateful I am. Thank you for changing my life. Next is Giordano Bruno. Giordano Bruno was a very unique man. He was a mathematician and other things. He really was a mystic. He got himself in a lot of trouble with the Christian church. He taught people that the earth was not the center of the universe. I believe he was in the 15 or 1600s, if I remember right. I think I have three, two or three Giordano Bruno books, and they're, they're very, very interesting. They're worth reading. But anyhow, he taught that the earth was not the center of the universe, and he taught that our sun is one of a countless number of suns. And remember, this is back when they had an Earth-centric concept. Remember, uh, you know, Galileo and Copernicus and people like that got in deep trouble for talking like that. And so uh, he also said that the that um, God is infinite and that the expanse of the universe is infinite. And these were not things that the Catholic Church liked people hearing. And this guy was the real deal. I mean, he was profound. And just to share with you what it looks like when you are truly in love with God and you know what the truth is, the Catholic Church captured this guy, put him in jail in a dungeon under the earth, and tortured him for seven years telling him if he would recant his teachings and views, they would let him go. He refused to. He would not recant because he knew the truth and he did not like seeing people lied to, manipulated, and abused that way. So finally, after seven years, well, use your imagination. They nailed him to a stake and burned him alive. And so, I have nothing but deep respect, because Giordano Bruno, like Shirawardi, chose to stick with God, even if it cost him his life, because he knew he was infinite. 
And Giordano Bruno inspires me to stick to my truth because it's the only thing I've got. And I personally spend a lot of time doing my own spiritual practices and staying into deep contact with God and my soul because I learned the hard way that the ego is not a good way to navigate the world. And when you have true mystical experiences, which I've been fortunate to have many of, you realize how dangerously lost people are, especially when it comes to religion and how important it is to do our best to share our love and wake people up so they don't get railroaded into dangerous belief systems. And those are the same people that are lining up all over the place to get stuck with something they don't know what it is to treat something they've never seen. And I don't think you need me to help you figure out what that is. So time to wake up, everybody. The next person that changed my life is actually one of my students and clients. His name's Jason Picard. Jason has studied with me personally, consistently, on a weekly to bi-weekly basis for, I think, approaching 11 years now, at least 10. And Jason is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. He became successful as a stockbroker. He came to me with some own, with his own health challenges and um, was referred to me by another Czech professional that uh, just didn't know how to handle Jason's issues. But him and I just had harmony together, and I just love this guy because he actually practices what I teach him, which is rare. Even people that pay me the fees I charge, they often do it for a few days and then fall back into their old habits. And it's like babysitting. And I just do not enjoy babysitting at any price. So Jason's one of the few people out there that really practiced what I taught him and really has done a lot with it. Um, you know, he's not only most committed, but he probably knows as much as my best instructors. And Uh, Jason's traveled all over the world and worked with high-level Czech practitioners, and usually he has to teach them what they're supposed to be doing because he knows more than they do, which is always a giggle for me. I'm like, okay, I'll refer them, Jason, to people, you know, level four Czech practitioners and stuff, and I'll warn them, you be very careful with this guy. Be on top of your game. Don't come to work tired. Don't forget to read every detail of his program because I'm promising you, If you make any mistakes, he will be the first one to point it out to you. This guy does not miss anything. And unfortunately, I've had to can some of them because they just weren't doing their job even after I warned them. Jason has studied shamanism with multiple great teachers and many other subjects. He's studied music. He's an amazing drummer and plays the flute and all sorts of stuff. Um, He studied, as I said, music with many teachers. He's the father of two beautiful daughters. He's a man truly committed to mastery, not only of my teachings, but spiritual teachings. He studied with a real Tai Chi master for a number of years. He's uh, a practitioner of Buddhism. uh, He's just one of the most amazing friends that I've ever had, honestly. And Jason did something for me And that's one of the reasons he changed my life. And I will tell you what he did for me. There was a time in my career where I had become quite wounded by people 
giving me gifts, but then later leveraging me to get deals to get into my education program or to get favors for me, from me. And it really made me sick to my stomach because I, I, I went through this with so many people. I just got to the point where I just started telling people, don't give me gifts. And it, it was very hard to do, but people would bring me gifts and I just wouldn't take them. I say, I'm sorry, I don't take gifts from people because I've been wounded by too many people that give gifts that aren't gifts. They're, they're hooks or some kind of sneaky barter system. And I won't go into some of these stories, but they're sad and shocking. So I hadn't taken gifts from anybody, but when Jason started coming to see me, he used to bring me gifts and he has given me some mind-blowing gifts from all over the world, from rare art to uh, hand-carved dumbbells from the Chinese military, actually stone, almost like kettlebells, hand-carved from the 14th century to swords to uh, Tibetan bells and uh, biogeometry, technology, biomats. I mean, I've been working with Jason for a, for a long time, obviously. He usually comes to see me for a couple of, a couple of times a year, and then we do coaching at a distance. But when he came to me, I, I, you know, I had a lot of love and respect for this guy. He's a real beautiful soul. And I said to him, Jason, I said, you know, if you're going to give me a gift ever, there's something I need to tell you. And I told him what had happened to me. And I said, so my rule moving forward is if you're going to give me a gift, there has to be no strings attached. And he said, Paul, no problem. I give you gifts because of my genuine love and, and friendship with you. And he has never, ever once done anything but give me love and support and him and I have worked through some tough challenges together. I will just leave it at that, but some tough challenges. And this guy has transformed himself. He was once very overweight. He weighed over 300 pounds. And now he is lean and fit and beautiful. And he, like I said, not only knows my teachings inside and out, but he's studying to be a process psychologist in Arnold Mendel's system. He is taught... Uh, business um, in business schools to teach people the principles of holistic health and the four doctors. He funded or or founded a uh, consciousness study and a university program when he was on a board with Deepak Chopra. Um, I can't tell you how amazing Jason Picard is. He's really one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And he really helped heal me on many levels and I love this guy so just keep your eyes and ears open for his name because he's right now developing his own system of body mind healing and I hope to share him on my podcast sometime in the next few months his whole family is quite amazing actually and you might remember my podcast with his brother Jared Picard who is a biodynamic farmer and if you'd like to learn more about biodynamic farming, I highly recommend you listen to my podcast with Jared Picard. The Picard family are super, super smart people, all of them. So thank you, Jason. I hope this is a surprise to you when you listen to this. I love you. You really are a very special man, and you healed a lot in me. And thank you for all your amazing gifts and all your love. 
The next two people that changed my life are Gavin and Gabby Jennings. Gavin used to be a personal trainer, then became a Czech professional, and he had a background in business and clothing and sales. And Gabby, his wife, is an accountant and a very good one. Thank God. And Penny and I were really having a lot of hard times managing the institute. It got very big. There was times where we had, between instructors and staff, something like 60 people on staff worldwide, all the time, classes running all over, lots of moving parts, and just a lot to manage. And it was just wearing Penny and I out. And we had gone through, as I think I mentioned earlier, the 2008 stock market crash, and it was really tough. And right about the time when I was unknowingly heading for a midlife crisis, I was really at the point where I said to Penny, I just think I need to sell the business because I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm too tired. I've given my heart and soul to the world and I, I just have to rest now. I got to the point where I knew that if I took one step further, no matter how much Tai Chi and meditation and good food and all the tricks I knew, from all the travel, remember I traveled for like 20 plus, maybe close to 25 years nonstop on airplanes all over the world trying to teach holistic health and taught thousands of people, literally more thousands than I can count, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of workshops, conferences, seminars. And so Gavin had demonstrated to me his ability. He asked him and Gabby wanted to become our UK distributors after our distributorship fell apart with the previous distributor. And so we let them take it over. And within, I think, a year, they were grossing as much as the entire United States branch of the business. So when I went into my midlife crisis, I seriously considered selling the business, but I couldn't get an offer that was viable. Um, I got what are called vulture offers. Unfortunately, I had Jason's father uh, as a consultant, and he's uh, you know probably one of the best businessmen in the world. And he said, Paul, these are what are called vulture offers. But Penny convinced me to hang on to the business. She said, you won't like what they do to your education. So I got a hold of Gavin, and I said, Gavin, you know, you're the UK distributor. You're very good at it. I really trust you. And I don't want to sell the business without telling you first, because if I sell the business and someone else takes it over, you won't be working with me anymore. And he said, funny, you should say that. I was about to call you and offer to take the whole thing over for you. And so him and Gabby took it over, Gabby, him and Gabby took it over and became our partners. And I'll tell you what, the Czech Institute has grown tremendously. It's much bigger than it used to be. It's run beautifully. It's just a miracle. So Gavin and Gabby Jennings changed my life, Penny's life, Angie's life, all of our instructors' life. They changed the whole institute and made it a much better, much more manageable, much more successful business. Gavin is the one that came to me with the idea of the Czech Academy and worked with me to package the Czech education that often took people seven years to complete into a four-year program with mentors and made a stunningly beautiful program that's helping people 
from all branches of the medical profession and other allied healthcare professions and even outside of uh, the healthcare profession to have a career path that is really beautiful and effective and and profitable at a time when we really need it most. So thank you, Gavin and Gabby Jennings. You changed my life, Penny's life, Angie's life, and a lot of people's life and have helped us touch the world with true holistic health. And for that, I deeply love you and you're in my prayers every day. I love you. Now, the next person that helped change my life and did change my life quite radically is Angie Check. And that is my second wife with Penny. Most of you have heard a podcast with her or been in classes with her. If you're a Czech student, you know that she is mind-blowing. Angie has an incredible capacity to learn and apply. She is probably the best presenter I've ever seen. She's even better than Tony Robbins, I would venture to bet. And I know Tony personally. Angie is an amazing presenter. She's got an incredible education of her own. She's got a degree in biology, a degree in energy medicine, a degree in nutrition. And she did three years of advanced training with Michael Harner at the Institute of Shamanic Studies in San Francisco and is a legitimate shaman. Her ability to organize my teachings to improve the capacity for students to learn and use the often complex and deep concepts that come out of me is amazing. She runs the entire Holistic Lifestyle Coach Department, um, and I'm grateful because she loves me, and um, her and I have been through the process of her pregnancies and birthing two children. And, and uh, so I've been right there with her and her last labor with Zoe was very, very intense and, and scary. And we made it through it together. And you may know of Nathan Riley, who was our doctor and uh, we love, and he's an amazing man. And Angie can manifest anything she wants. I'll tell you what, if you could see our beautiful home, she worked with me. i created a mon uh, I well it's like a mandala but I did a an oracle which is a spiritual use of art to symbolize what it is that you're creating inside your heart and asking the universe for help and Angie and I created that together and blew smoke to it every day and thank great spirit and did our prayer for five years before <clears throat> getting our rainbow home. And her and Penny are amazing together. These girls are just like two of the most incredible people I've ever met in my whole life. And I'm fortunate to share a marriage and and kids with both of them. And Angie's also, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but Angie's capacity for complete and utter intimate sexual union is mind-boggling. And she really (laughs) took me to a whole level of aha and spiritual awakening through intimate sexual union and she's also an amazing mother so angie check you've changed my life and you do every single day and i love you baby if you get a chance to see angie speak or be in one of her classes it's an experience you'll never forget trust me now it's been hard for me because i literally could do five or six long podcast with all the people that have changed my life. So I'm near the end of the list now, but it was hard to decide. But the next person is Gene Gebser. I also learned about Gene Gebser from studying Ken Wilbur. 
he wrote the book The Ever-Present Origin, which is a mind-blowing book. It's a very big and a very deep book, but it is a truly mind-blowing piece of work. And I was fortunate to find out about an author named Jeremy Thomas through Integral Life, and the Integral Life membership is well worth the investment. That's Ken Wilber's system. And Jeremy Thomas wrote a book called Seeing Through the World, which overviews Gene Gebser's teachings. And having studied that first in a number of different articles, I was able to then um, get into the ever-present origin and be be able to understand it and and uh, have his language and his concepts already work through so I could handle the ever-present origin. But Gene Gebser was a mind-blowing you know, philosopher, I guess you would call him. But he knew a lot of the great minds, the movers and shakers, the you know people like Joseph Campbell and people like that. He was in that sort of era, and uh, his teachings on consciousness are well, they're good enough that Ken Wilber talks about them all the time. So there you go. And I've got a beautiful picture on my wall right next to my reading chair. And the neat thing is Gene Gebser looks so much like my grandfather, Grandpa Reynolds, the one I told you about earlier. It's crazy. So every time I send love and blow smoke to Gene Gebser, it's as though I'm talking to my grandfather. So Gene Gebser, thank you. You changed my life. The last two people on my list are my kids. I talked about Paul Jr. Mana is the child of Angie and I, and he's also mothered by Penny. And he's five, and Zoe is two. And my kids are so beautiful. They're so intelligent, and they're so amazing and athletic and artistic. And I just, God, they blew my heart open. And when I went through my midlife crisis, I was just so over the world and ready to just go be with God and emptiness and these kids just filled my heart with love and brought me back home to earth and reinvigorated my desire to stand up for the planet and help educate people because what we're creating on this planet is devastating for the children. We have created a terrible environment to raise children on every level. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. And knowing that my kids are going to have to navigate this world when I'm gone really got me and and Angie and Penny inspired to really create a beautiful environment for them. And we have a Steiner teacher that comes and teaches them. And we built a beautiful playground for them. And we have 14 acres and a swimming pool. And they've got lots of room to play with all their toys and electric cars. And, you know, we, we pretty much are of the philosophy, give your kids as many ways to find their genius as possible. And when you find it with them, nurture it. And both our kids are incredible and I love them deeply. And they changed my life in many ways and do every day. So that brings me to the end. I didn't know how long it would take me to get through this. I hope it hasn't been boring for you. At least you got to learn a lot of neat people out there and resources. And in your show notes, you'll have plenty of other resources because 
Wayne will do a great job of putting those resources together so you can find them. The show notes might be in about 15 pages of resources, but if you think that's a lot, maybe one day you'll get a look at my library and you'll see there's a lot more. But it's been really fun sharing with you guys, and I hope that you feel inspired to investigate some of these people and grow yourself. And I hope this gives you a little look inside of me, the founder of the Czech Institute, and what the Czech Institute's really built on, because I built the Institute by studying the best of the best and synthesizing it through my own use, my own life, and my own work with clients and patients, and testing it and modifying it. And that's what the Czech Academy is. It's a synthesis of all the great minds I've studied. And I really wanted to share as many of them as I could with any of you so that whether you're a student of the Czech Institute or not, you can find the real wisdom carriers and not have to listen to a lot of the silly shit on television or crap on social media you know, fluffy new age, (laughs) eat this pill and your problems will go away or do this technique and you'll be enlightened, but really get into the real stuff. So it's been a great pleasure. And uh, like I said, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, it's my birthday. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine I made it to 60 because boy, I've been on the edge of death a lot of times with a lot of broken bones, internal bleeding, concussions, and all sorts of amazing things that I did to stretch and grow myself. So I'm happy to be here with all of you. I'm very grateful for the sponsors of the podcast. I'm very grateful for each of you listening and sharing the podcast with those who you think it can help and inspire. And I'm really reinvigorated thanks to my kids and Gavin and Gabby Jennings and the students of the Institute and the instructors who are also amazing people to do the best I can do for the world while I am on this planet. And I hope that that's as long as I can hang in there and see when God wants me to come sit at the round table with all these people that have passed on that I love. But I'll do my very best every day, and I hope all of you do too. And right now we have a great time uh, opportunity to look at what we're doing in the world and and uh, use the power of us as a collective to uh, starve out some of these dangerous corporations and really move towards more of a holistic relationship with nature and sustainable corporations and practices. And I think we can create something really beautiful together. So thank you all for joining me. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. I look forward to sharing many, many more with you. Fortunately, I love podcasting, so I won't retire from that ever. I have a lot of things to share with you. I probably have about 150 podcast ideas written down and lots of amazing guests coming your way. So have a great day. Enjoy your studies and exploration of these great people. Lots of love to all of you. Aho, great spirit. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check. If you've enjoyed this episode, we recommend episodes 18, 20, 22, 24, and 26, featuring Paul's Evolve series, where he talks about how to evolve yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and how to evolve your career. Or check out episode 59 with Paul on ancient wisdom and reimagining your health and performance. 
You can follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast.